Hello and welcome to Too Rash, Too Unadvised, Definitely Something, Perhaps the Stars. My name is Liam Nolan. My name's Wero Kariuki. And I'm Johnny. And today we're discussing chapter 24. If you want to ask a question, come be on the show. Please feel free to reach out to us 2 2 gmail.com. That's 2 is the number 2, and I may check the message of spoilers. Please also support us more frequently on our Patreon. With that out of the way, and many thanks to our Lord and our Savior, Jehovah's Catheterer. Catheterate. Catheterize. Catheterer. Catheterer. That can't be how English works. It's eh, not, it's but fun. you know, if that's what you were told to say. Catheterist? You might actually say cat- catheterizer. Jehovah's nurse. Jehovah's nurse. <laughs> An immortal tyrant. You well, of course. There we kale. go. Johnny. Welcome back. Hi. You were banned from the show for some time. Uh, but I've is there been anything back, you want to argue about? But I've been back since then, remember? I've been on, I was on for a previous chapter after I got banned, where you couldn't mm-hmm. come up with a guest, and I came back. I can't remember, I, I can't even remember which, which chapter it was, but Truly, I was back since now. This must show our depth of, our, the depth of our love for you, that you've been banned <laughs> by fan acclaim and we brought you back again. I mean, I was explicitly summoned back by a uh, friend of the show, former patriarch of the show, Wesley Finza, um, who said I should come back because I, I went to the recovered from the godhood. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I wouldn't I'm, put it that way. I mean, but they are one of our favorite people, objectively, and in real terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, obviously, in terms of like, Oh, what do I want to talk about? Like, you know, it's neat that we found out Gordian is the good guys, uh, and it turns out they always were. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I am vindicated for my decision to swap from the cousins to the Gordians, I guess. Yeah, good call. That was the correct choice, Johnny. As it turns out. Um, yes. You know what you could swap to? Mm-hmm. The winning team? Yeah, the Gordians. <laughs> Still on the table. <laughs> it turns out no. <laughs> Who knows what the Gordians are doing? Apparently, secret things all the time, forever. We know, but it we is... knew what the, the Gordian plan was. <laughs> it was apparently to use the Masons as a proxy empire to conquer everybody. I mean, that's, that's yeah. kind of part of the... Pl- like, the Gordians are presented as, like... Oh, the master manipulator and liar hive. And like, you guys are taking what they're saying with very few grains of salt, I feel. I know you get on my case for, uh, like, uh, uh, thinking that Ignoring the text? In- no, well, for thinking that things in the text are lying to us, right? Like, the- even in-, in previous episodes, you've got on, on me for that. But like- Half of your theories on- by volume are, what if everything in the text is a lie? <laughs> But what if everything yeah. in the text is a lie, right? What if? So here's the problem. Uh-huh. I am immensely frustrated that you have been so vindicated for such a bullshit strategy <laughs> as 
hey, what if the whole book is like just not true? And actually, this these guys are doing stuff. And then it turns out at the end, yeah, the whole book wasn't true. And those guys were doing stuff. And you didn't earn that. Suck my ass, Liam. I told you and I was right. And you don't get to say I was wrong for being right. Absolutely, I do. No one can stop me here. Um, but here's why I'm so willing to give Gordian credit for being, for telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, no one is objecting. <laughs> Everyone in that conversation seemed to just agree that that was all cool and fine and made sense. Well, I, I will know. So I guess. I, I but will like, a that- lot of the objections, like... It plays into the current idea of of, of Huxley and uh, Nine A that these are that these are these that they're these uh, ultimate Gordian masterminds who um, are controlling the world, right? Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I could object about that. Huxley did object to the constant implication that. Um, Yobi doesn't care about death. Mm-hmm. Um, not like great terms, but like did objects. <laughs> that uh, wasn't the part I have a problem with. The part I have a problem with, and Johnny insisted before this podcast that we not get into this argument on the podcast, but listen, no. Um, the part I have a problem with is that utopians apparently just aren't living up to their values once again. First, there was saving Earth and not hiding out in a moon base. Fuck that up. Now there's become immortal and spend eternity exploring the stars and building a grand empire. Didn't do that very well either. Hmm. Uh, Apparently, everyone should have just given Faust stuff and then come back in 40 years and gotten on with the rest of their plans. It's great that all the organizations that decided to be incredibly suspicious of at the beginning of this book turn out to be failures. And not only that, failures on their own terms. It's very vindicating. Yeah, you may actually remember way towards the start of this series when I was on very early episodes. I when I met the Utopians, I was like, "Hey, isn't it kind of weird that they've been trying to make people immortal for hundreds of years and they haven't actually succeeded? They've just made slow progress and also they seem to be using a car system that is like good at preventing something that is so remotely unlikely that it's not worth their time or resources compared to, like, I don't know, curing one additional disease or adding two years to the human lifespan, and yet they spend all their resources on this. And it's like, all that shit? Completely right. (laughs) And only explained three books later. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Utopia, not that great. Uh, All you guys who picked Utopia, I'm judging you. It's like they spend less than like ten percent of their money on um making everybody immortal. They spend most of it on space. Um and that and is I want to argue like, a point here. It is an actual economic choice to do that. Yes, there are benefits to going to space, but they aren't the same benefits as spending the money on becoming immortal. And well that's the problem, right? They could achieve their own stated goals better by doing apparently very feasible immortality stuff. But they're barely working with the Gordians okay, but the, uh, and it, are instead piddling around with car systems. It, like, what's. It wasn't necessarily feasible until we get these miracles like Cato and, um, and Achilles, right? Before it would have been who knows how long. Um, but if they had a lot more money, it would have been more helpful. But mm-hmm. then suddenly, as I noted, right, 
uh, Kato and Achilles are the Gordian's goals, just mm-hmm. what they want. Yeah, it's like the 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 produce of future human society in terms of Cato in that well sort of I I think Cato describes himself as like being able to do things that current science can do so I don't know how exactly that no no Cato is something that does things that are physically possible um as an extension of normal human science as well as opposed to like the little army men which were like physically impossible um, yeah yeah Cato. Does like what? Ah, boy, what's an analogy here? Cato does like what Marvel Comics thinks Captain America does, where he's the best possible person at the world at every niche science skill. But is all that at a once. Captain America thing? So, listen, I don't want to rant about comics for an episode, but in theory, Captain America is like. The strongest power lifter and the fastest sprinter and the best javelin thrower, but one dude. That I agree. Like they, they, they say he's like, oh, peak physical human condition. He's the best at all the things that people can do. And like that obviously doesn't make sense because you need different physiques for those different skills. I just thought you were saying Captain America was like an expert scientist. And I was like, you know, oh, that no. was confusing. Who knows? No, no. I'm drawing an analogy to... You're not what the best person could be. You're the best 10,000 specialists at the same time. Which is like a mm-hmm. point specifically made of the book where like, where like, and I'm just like, hey, this is like deeply unreal. <laughs> Why does he know all these things? He shouldn't know to know one of these things. Also, his doctorates are in none of these things. <laughs> and he was like... He had data from every published journal, including stuff that happened after he went to jail. Yeah, just Uh, in his head. A a note I made when I was reading chapter 23 for the first time was like, one possible concern here is uh, uh, back in book one, when when Bridger is talking about possibly resurrecting a soldier. You remember that? Um, Mm Mm-hmm. He, uh, he thinks about how should I do this, right? Should I do this through making like a Frankenstein style resurrection machine? Or should I do this through like magic thing, right? Making a magic thing that can resurrect it. And one of the things he considers is like, maybe one of the, maybe changing, maybe doing the Frankenstein thing would change the nature of the universe to make it scientifically possible to resurrect people. And maybe the magic thing wouldn't do that. Um, so the, uh, if if he was right, who knows if he was, that might imply that the, the resurrection potions are unreproducible. Yeah. There was a note but, you know, in the first Buckle books where, like, they, ha- they had sent, like, all of Bridges' cures to scientists and labs, and they just can't fucking figure out what's up with that. Well, they'd only had a week and a half, right? Now there's been, like, a full year of doing a war. Hmm. And I don't know how reasonable that, like, you know, I, I'm, I don't know how scientific reverse engineering of cures works, right? What, what do I don't mean? know how weird it would be that, that they can't figure out what's going on with these just Wait. based on them being weird. What do you mean it's only been a week and a half? They had Bridger for years. They had Bridger's stuff? Yes. I was talking about Fisbee and Mycroft. Oh, yeah, they did do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hang on. You've raised a really a really interesting point, which is, what did those labs think was happening? 
I guess they thought they were just getting sent stuff by like rogue scientists who were like doing rogue research for some fucking re- like I don't know maybe they're doing unethical baby murdering on. research and they can't let anybody know what's going on with that and they did they get the produce. a note that said like hey check out this vial inside it is a liquid that will revive anything it touches check it out see if you can solve the problem how how was this not causing mass hysteria well like, the I, whole time they did if not I remember they, the, the 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 context correctly it was not that they were just sending, like, curing potions. They were sending things designed to cure specific diseases that had cropped up, right? Yeah, there was, like, some new kind of pox or whatever, and they sent a cure to a lab. And that's not- that's weird, but it's not, like, everybody in the world needs to be looking at this weird. It's like, oh, apparently there's rogue scientists somewhere doing other research. Well, it's probably just utopians doing weird utopian shit. Or maybe it's that maybe it's they sent it to the utopians and the utopians being utopians didn't fucking tell anybody anything ever. And so it didn't become world news. Anyway, the the short version of this is throughout this last book, I've been becoming I think it's fair to say more pro-utopia against my better judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, no longer. I was right the first time. I should have known better than to ever go back on anything I said for any reason. <laughs> so, speaking of that, it's been a great 15 minutes of chatting. I'm satisfied with the amount we've chatted about this. Shall we get into chapter 24? Yeah, so the most important question in chapter 24 is, is Achilles currently circling Troy? With Bridger's corpse now. With Bridger's corpse? The Alexander is the thing Bridger left behind in a meaningful sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the context, is he doing this? In the context of the Iliad metaphor, what corpse is he supposed to be dragging around? Isn't it Hector's? Hector's. Yeah, Hector's. Yeah, and we've, we've heard tell that Kasala uh, uh, is, Hector, is the Hector. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But Achilles has spent this whole book circling something which well, not, Troy is in. Not the whole book, but the, the couple of chapters since uh I feel like it's been a long time. That's probably more about the way that I read these books. Um yeah. Is he? Is this that? No. I, no. I, I feel like he d- remember Liam, this is an exact parallel of the Iliad down to like ploppies. Um, yeah, I, I will had, remind you, Liam, that you've said right. before that every single time you've thought, oh, maybe it just won't be exactly the Iliad. It has instead been exactly the Iliad. <laughs> like, you've said that. They tore open Kato's shirt, and he has fucking Helen st- tattooed on his back. Okay, now, here's my point. Helen does not have a Helen tattoo on Helen's back. But- True. It being, it's like shoving your face in how obvious it is with the, the, what, the character that is Helen has Helen literally stamped on them. That, that part was pretty, yeah, okay. I mean, I, I guess the other thing to ask is, is there some way in which the Alexander could be read as Hector? No. No. Not unless Achilles is also Priam. <laughs> Who's Priam? That's exactly what I'm thinking right now. Is it Achilles? <laughs> no, it can't be Achilles. Kusala um, um, doesn't have a pair. I guess it's Madame. Well, Kusala has a family, right? Their, their, their family has been mentioned as being like 
a large, friendly Indian family, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, I guess I'm gonna come to go to Achilles and beg for her body back. Um, who would want Kosala? Other than Achilles, her family and friends. Vivian? Who's Vivian right now? Who? Oh, I don't know who Vivian is. Um, I don't think we've heard from Vivian in ages. Oh my God, Vivian is Hector's wife. Oh no! Uh, that's right. Hector had a wife. And that kid that nothing, uh, nothing bad happens to. That kid oh yeah, the, bad the kid to that, that, that they've Suya. already, the, the kid that Achilles has already preemptively. Oh no! As being a good idea to kill. <laughs> oh my God! They're gonna throw Suyan off a wall. You know what? That's correct of them to do. <laughs> they did betray the Masons. It's yeah, okay. We should have put that one together sooner. I could, you know, I'm a little bit frustrated that we haven't yet just sat down and on a Google Doc written down every name in the Iliad and just done the family tree for every character. Do we want to do that after this? Maybe we should. Before we even read the next chapter. We should have done it so long ago. We should do it even before we read the next chapter. I'll delay reading the next chapter so we can just list out. Well, especially given how this chapter ends, it's like... Making some suggestions that some some more Iliad stuff is gonna happen. Of course, the only is gonna happen. This is have you not? This is this is what the way this. Well, book but is. I know, but like especially, right? You know, my biggest worry about this last chapter is that Saladin has fingers. Ah, implying they're definitely not a dog. Now, I I did actually have some questions about that. One, uh, are ghosts real? What? What's our opinion on are ghosts real in this story? Fucking yes, but only if you go and visit the underworld. Okay, so is Saladin a ghost? Ghost. If Saladin is a ghost, it is metaphorically. No, no, okay. but no, no. Saladin could be literally a ghost. Bridger was around. You think he could have been, but Bridger didn't know Saladin was supposed to be dead. Saladin, uh, Bridger did have that weird scene where they, like, touched Saladin and stuff, right? Yeah, they were hanging out on their back, they asked Saladin. They seemed really okay with Saladin. Yeah. Boy, I, you know, here's, here's my pitch. I'm, I'm devastated that Skin Dog isn't true, because Skin Dog with human hands, too, that's a step too far. (laughs) Um... Well, at least we know there's a line. But I do, as of now, still pretty firmly believe that Saladin is in Mycroft Canner's body. Um, I, I do have one... Uh, d- sorry to drag us... If that's Go true, ahead. why doesn't Nine recognize Mycroft? They're in, like, utopian stuff, doing a silly voice. They're not. They're underneath a coat. Yeah. They're both are. So Nine so can see Saladin without the Utopian coat. I'm sorry, is your theory that Mycroft and Nine are just two goblins in a trench coating for this whole story? Like, no! Yeah, uh, that at the <laughs> end at the last scene, uh Saladin literally takes off the Utopian coat, puts it over both of them, and then they have a discussion. So they're in the dark. While 9A is huddling with their arms over their head, begging not to be killed. Huge issue with that scene, by the way. 9A edited Mycroft's earlier books, and yet 9A still describes Saladin as an expert killer who he's afraid of. 
You know, actually, that does raise, and I know, I'm sorry, I'm going to do my thing again. That does raise the question <laughs> of whether actually that book was edited to make 9A look like a less effective murderer. A Saladin? <laughs> sorry, Saladin looked like a less effective murderer. <laughs> no, for several plot points, you need, you need Dominic to have defeated Saladin. Okay, um, but like, you don't have to... You don't have to stretch too hard to make it plausible that Dominic defeated somebody. Dominic is also a crazy murderer. Plus, he had help from Madame, the most competent person in this story. Yeah. Man, that is right. Actually, speaking of that, once again, I'd like to check in with your theories. What do you think Madame is doing right now? Can she contact people? If so, who would she be contacting? Like, what's her role in this? No one on this planet would try to get madame except for like felix except for except for felix maybe and felix does have cars so i th- you say that like casimir perry wasn't able to like get together a whole network of assholes based on purely wanting to kill madame yeah casimir perry is a real a real struggle to wrap the old head around. Um, <laughs> do you think there's going to be a satisfying explanation for him? Or is the author just trying to punish us for caring too much? I mean, the last several times that, that they've come up, you've said, like, not only is this unsatisfying, this makes me believe that the author is fundamentally not has like fundamentally antithetical goals to the idea of telling a good story. Uh, I like the most recent appearance. I like Thrasymachus. Okay, Thucydides. God damn it! Yeah, you... I do mean Thucydides. <laughs> but you don't like what they're doing. You just like someone saying that having goals is bad. Okay. Hey, Liam. Hey, guess what? Guess what? Yep. Um, Thucydides. Just before they all go to go to um, Alexandria, says, "Hey, you and fucking Michael are gonna do is you're all going to try to comfort crying Mason while you guys do a series of like war crimes, and that's exactly yeah. what happens. That is, it, it is unfortunate that that is literally what happened. <laughs> I cannot believe how much of this book has been crying. Gift of prophecy on that poor guy. Crying." While doing war crimes. Thersiades, truly the Cassandra of this story. <laughs> so, here's the thing. We finished Gundam Seed, and that taught us a couple of important lessons about this, this story, right? Number uh-huh. one, the best people at fighting have literal seeds inside their brain that sometimes explode and make their eyes get dry. Oh, and like, number like, two... Like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I do think this is, that's a metaphor, actually. And we get a better. I don't. <laughs> With the, uh... But two uh, is that war crimes are okay, and wars are over when all your enemies die. <laughs> Both is... quotes from the best person in that show, morally speaking, <laughs> Rommel. I hate how true Rommel, that eh? is. <laughs> it's so bad. There is literally a Rommel expert who's called the Desert Fox who is the best example of an occupier who genuinely gets along to some bizarrely high degree with the multiple rebel groups. He just leaves alive for, like, no good reason. So the, um... 
fucking oh what what's his name um the guy who wanted to be in charge of spain what <sighs> franco spain no the madame puppet who wanted <laughs> to be in charge of spain a- and europe uh casimir perry no no the one who wanted to be the, uh, uh president of europe but couldn't do it what are you business of a president? What are you talking about? God damn it, what the fuck is his name? Ganymede! The Ganymede of the story. In that he's an occupier who gets along with everyone. <laughs> Jesus who he's Christ. <laughs> Ganymede is who you were trying to say? That is not yeah, who he, Ganymede is. He wanted to be president of Europe. Not Spain. Not presidents. <laughs> <laughs> Prime Minister, whatever. He wanted to be real royalty. Spain was irrelevant. (laughs) Spain was only relevant in the case that has to get him to hate the most. It's who he most envied. Because Spain is actually real royalty, and all the French people are now island Republicans. Well, I guess it's not who he most envied. I think he probably most envied Jed. Like, he could get the French to call him king, but every French person would have more loyalty to the, the Marseillaise than to him. Which is like fair cop, right? You should have more loyalty to songs over peop- over um, kings. Okay, but this is all unrelated, because what I was talking about was what he did in Romanova rather than anything else. Side note, part of the Marseillaise has references to like <laughs> unpure blood littering the field, and no one like talks about that, but I feel that's weird. I think that's just a little bit just like it's a weird time, they wrote weird, so- weird songs, but I think that's weird. Um, mm. Moving on. I mean, we've already talked about O Canada on this show. <laughs> they removed the Jesus reference. So uh, 9A has a, a new cabinet, right? Uh, what, what do we think of them? Uh, they say like, oh, you know, it's such a great cabinet. It's uh, uh, full of people that I really trust, but that the Brillis wouldn't have necessarily predicted. So They're exactly one, the people yes, they would who have. I predict, and I'm not a Brillist. They're literally well, exactly like... the people the Brillis predicted. I can't believe he thinks that. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> What can I say? Like, that's what they say. We, we, it's worse that, like, we know exactly what the Brillists didn't predict. Like, they didn't predict. They were all, they, everybody in the story didn't really think about the reservations as being relevant to the war. And so when the reservations mm-hmm. acted, no one knew what to do. So, like, if he recruited a bunch of people from the reservations, uh, of people literally went out to, like, OSA, or literally went out to, like, uh, Homeland and recruited their people in their capital to him, maybe. Instead, he talked to all of his closest friends who were already in the city with him. They're also, like, yeah. politically... Like, I, I know there's lines in there about how nobody expected them to do anything because everybody forgot they exist. But also, like, are they relevant because of what they do? Like, the uh, uh, all they do is try to help with the space thing and fail as much as everybody did. They invaded Casablanca. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> they are literally attempting to hold trial for, like, some cousins, and probably the guardians of the end of this, right? Like, depending on whether anybody ever decides that pub- the public should know things. <laughs> they control, like, huge chunks of North Africa, probably. Like, I feel like they actually are pretty relevant. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's unclear as many things are. It's not unclear. Many it's very of, clear. Many of Nine A's staffing choices are like kind of reasonable. Eureka, pretty okay at their job as far as we know. <laughs> Toshi, 
Sure, they do. They count stuff real fast. They're the, the think, rain man of their day. actually, um, at least at the start of the war, Toshi would have been a solid cabinet choice because, like, it's such an outlier case for, like, Nine to have access to Toshi for the cabinet. Yeah, right? They, like, such a, such a set of things have to happen for that to be true. Yeah, right, because, um... Oh, maybe they don't know it's Toshi. Maybe Toshi is not an example. Because, like, no, but, no, wait. Yeah, at the beginning of the story, right, Toshi made it to Romanova by accident, got stuck there, and hid out in, like, a sewer <laughs> for days. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure, like, didn't Jin and Jin know that they were there? No. No? They specifically okay. did well, not want to tell Jin and Jin. Okay, well, then maybe it's a total surprise to the Brillis that Toshi is on the cabinet. Uh, no, because then Toshi, then uh, now they do <laughs> becomes, like, um, oh right, Su Hyun was the one originally arbored. Oh yeah, so that's just screwed. Yeah, so like, and and, and then she like Su Hyun um, took over the the thing and publicly revealed Toshi like immediately when when Toshi's arrived, he arrives publicly. Uh, they arrive mm-hmm. publicly. There's a whole scene where like Zhao Lu like gives them a look and everybody's like uncomfortable about this. Um, mm. So like. At that point, the Brillis do know Tashi is in the city and knows that Nine must have collaborated to bring them to Alexandria. Hmm. So, like, it's very... And they're, the, like, the deputy censor. They're the other deputy censor. So it's, like, the most obvious choice and probably the only legal one. Oh, hey, speaking of uh, uh, Jin Im Jin... Uh, a thing that gets noted in this chapter is that Kinsey, Kinsey Malkavich is running past it on still. How do you think that's going? <laughs> well, they are not in the city of Romanova, which is probably like alive. Hmm. Right? They're, they're, yeah, their bash it, is outside of the city. I bet they're doing fine. You know? Maybe. I mean, Romanova has got to be in a really weird political situation because they're run by like Jin Im Jin, who is a Brillist agent, Bo Chowdhury, who is a. Genuine law and order, but also Madamist agent, and Julia, who is Julia. Not Bo Chowdhury, the, um, the Mexican one. I'm sorry, I forgot his name. I, is it not Bo Chowdhury? I thought Bo Chowdhury was the one Bo that- Bo Chowdhury uh, is Papa in, in Alexandria. Pa- you know, yeah, Bo Chowdhury is the one Papa left in charge of everything, but um, it's the other subordinate that's in Romanova. Hmm, okay. Yeah, Bo Chowdhury is in Alexandria. First of all, it is for sure one hundred percent not the case that it's being run by those three. It's being run by Julia. I don't know. Like Julia's very good. The Brillists also very good though, right? I don't know who who wins the being very good fight between them. It's very clearly Julia. Julia's a triumvir yeah. now. Also, Julia has the only superpower Brill doesn't have access to. Religion? Arguing about religion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows they don't? Who knows how they subvert people? We haven't seen it happen on screen. And who tells... But we've heard descriptions of it. And and Julia uh, knows exactly who knows her secret. So if she takes out the, um, the Mexican humanist... Uh, she's just in charge. True, though Carlisle, if I remember correctly, 
obviously Carlisle knows this stuff about Julia and Sniper, but also I think they set up like a dead drop in case they ever uh, get fucked over by Julia. Yeah, that's what Carlisle did. Carlisle who knows what Julia's like. Not this random Mexican humanists. That's true. Maybe, uh, I don't know if Carlisle set up stuff so that the, the humanist guy would have dirt on Julia. I hope so. It's really important to have dirt on Julia. Carlisle did, but I'm saying Julia probably like outmaneuvered the guy and now is like just in charge now. That that seems imminently plausible. Like, the Mexican humanist is not a triumvir. It is pretty unfair to put someone up against Julia in that uneven of a playing field, okay, and then just leave. I will point out that the triumvirate is fake, and it's made of whatever you say it's made of, so like... The triumvirate is just as fake as Romanova, or the Masons. No, I know, but it's like... Just as like, there's real no... as Romanova and the Masons. <laughs> but what I'm saying is there's no, like, constitutional precedent of defining what it has to be or anything. No, right? there it, isn't. Some... So <laughs> That's they could the problem. Just say... So they could just say, like, oh, you, humanist guy, you are now a triumvir. They could. Because one of the other ones left. They could, but I... they specifically didn't. <laughs> they did not. I can't believe how right you got to be that the triumvirate was, like, an illegal thing that the censor couldn't do, even after they'd been given dictatorial power to do whatever they felt like. <laughs> yeah, no, I gotta tell you, how you're feeling about me being right about the the uh, uh, everything being a lie, that's how I feel about Wuweru <laughs> being right about that. It's like total horseshit that you happen to be correct about such a bad argument. <laughs> I came out on top of every one of these. <laughs> All right. I Everyone, bet. I, I bet after this, we're going to find out that not only d- did Suyun do a coup and the triumvirate illegal, uh, Papa Ulta did a coup and what he's doing is also illegal. <laughs> and we'll meet God and he'll say, like, I believe in dictatorships and am evil. <laughs> <laughs> And you shouldn't be like me. <laughs> and you should Weirdly, put Jed in charge. And look, more people should put Jed in charge. <laughs> He's, but like, not in front in charge. <laughs> oh, so, hey, so speaking of people putting Jed in charge, uh, I've been trying to avoid summarizing the text because that led to horrible things last time I tried it. But mm-hmm. um, we do need to actually we do try. S- we do see people who want to put Jed in charge, right? Because we, we, we see the, uh, uh, there's there's the Remaker side of this war who definitely wants Jed in charge. There's the Hotguard side of this war who definitely wants Jed, like, dead or not in charge. And then mm-hmm. there's a third side to this conflict, which is the Homeland side who want to put Jed in charge, but only if he get, do, only does things that they want. Um, hey, guess what, guys? He, the EU died. The EU's <laughs> dead now. The EU is fully gone. Yeah, when we weren't looking. No, when we, we weren't saw looking, its death. we saw its funeral. <laughs> we saw its funeral. We will. Um, we uh, rollicked in its corpse in that in the uh, Minecraft Odyssey chapter. Like mm. it's been dead this entire. I've been saying several times in a few episodes. The EU is simply not a relevant entity, and the EU. Uh, so the Mitsubishi saw that, swept in, and just took all their stuff. <laughs> 
I feel like none of you believed me about the guns of August and how we were seeing the death of the Uni- the European Union. I did. But that's fine. You, um, you turn out to be right. <laughs> All three so, yeah, of us. Like, so just like right in deeply bullshit ways. It's great. So I, I do appreciate that it's like, you know, when I said, uh, I, I think I said at one point that the Mitsubishi is basically Europe if they had specific identifiable uniting values. And like, you know, that has turned out to be true. That Europe just got on board with the people who had the values more. How is Homan going to go for Europe? I want to know what how Europe, but like, <clears throat> also it's great is that like, the EU in this setting has existed for like since like the nineteen for like seven like five hundred years no six hundred and fifty years yeah it is nearly seven hundred years old no it is not it's seven hundred fifty years old seven hundred years old and like it just died and no one is talking about it well you well, know they're busy, they're busy. <laughs> yeah. Like, they've got wars to worry about. It was one of, it was, at the beginning of this war, the only thing uh, that may have had, like, a existing relevant military, other than the Utopians, they just died immediately. Squandered. <laughs> yep. Um, I, I actually really like, by the way, talking about, like, oh, they, they're busy having wars. There's a there's a part later in the chapter where they, they negotiate a temporary peace agreement, and... So they're like, oh, but like, how long is that peace agreement going to last? And one of them is like, shut the fuck up. I'm telling everyone we have a peace agreement. We're not going to waste lives by like uh, quibbling over details when we agree there's going to be a peace agreement. We can work over when it ends later. And like, you know, that's good. That's a good thing to do. Well, uh, you know, you're too far ahead, but I want to come back to that and disagree later. So another thing that happens in this chapter 9A credits Felix Faust with fixing Carlisle. I disagree. I do well, think it was Dominic. It's so I think, obviously Dominic. <laughs> so here, here's the thing, right? 9A has weird opinions about gender, as we learn later in this chapter. Um, and the... Uh, I totally buy that they just, like, don't want to accept that what Dominic did was a successful strategy because it was weird and kinky. Um, But, like, clearly that was what happened. Yeah. Okay, so, by the way, speaking of 9A and their weird opinions on gender, um, other people who read this book like 9A, right? Yes. Because it did not seem great to me that 9A is the one saying all of this. Uh, How so? It makes it all seem wrong. Hmm. The gender bit? Yeah. So, let's let, well, for, for the benefit of people who might not remember what happens in this chapter, uh, 9A, partway through a different thing happening, uh, notes like, Hey, all the major world leaders right now are women. That means we beat sexism, baby. It's over. Uh, <laughs> Madame loses, we win. Um, but the, and the criteria have... that Nina uses counts Dominic as a woman. No, no, no. It, it counts Dominic as not masculine by the standards that the 1800s would uh, understand. So I have Which, a message but hey, uh, to... So Dominic is specifically masculine <laughs> by specifically the standards the 1800s uh, found. And is specifically, like, taken from uh, accounts of, of, of 
like in, in stories of um female people doing stuff like that, right? Like it's Dominic would be specifically be seen as masculine and as dressing masculine and as acting masculine. That's the entire point of Dominic. <laughs> so I, I have a message to deliver from Martyr, who insisted I deliver it when we got to this. My big note is that I was gendering 9A as she prior to this. Based on the ending of Two Like the Lightning, not based on knowing that this would happen. As of this chapter, 9A is so bad at understanding Madame's conception of gender that I'm revoking their gender privileges and giving them they from now on. <laughs> 9A simultaneously counts biosex females in masculine roles and biosex males not in masculine roles as blows against Madame's ideology, which is both incoherent and misunderstands Madame's whole deal. Madame's actions also aren't easily understood as about patriarchy, per se, and Nine's interpretation through that both reductive and overly complex lens gives rise to this incoherence, unquote. Well, I, I, I'm glad Martyr said it, because this whole speech <laughs> is kind of nonsense. <laughs> okay, uh, so it, I don't disagree with the speech, but... Um, I do. Um, if no. you're not going to disagree, let me get one other thing out, no, which I, is... I do disagree <laughs> with the speech. 9A discusses that, uh, like, Madame is specifically doing gender based on physical sex, and how did, how did 9A not get the memo that that's not what Madame is doing? They edited Mycroft's book about this. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I think it just straightforwardly is true that um that madame is using patriarchy as one of her tools to exercise mm -hmm. control over people right in that uh when we see what happens to like her her bass children right um they reflect broadly the patriarchal assumptions uh not with regard to biosex but with regard to to the gender uh, madame assigns them uh, of the 1800s. Now, Madame does subvert this in specifically like a Desadian mode, um, but she subverts it in a Desadian mode instead of like trying to ignore it like her present does. Try to try to uh, subvert it in more modern modes. Um, plus, it's implied that like ultimately the reason why like bi there's a lot of biosex guys. Uh, who are leaders, is, like, just because Madame is... Most people in the world are straight, and so it's easier for Madame to control straight people. And so she ends up with a lot of guys. A lot of biosex guys. But I, no, the, um, the whole speech reads like... And, and we say speech here, but this isn't really a speech because 9A doesn't deliver it. This is just them thinking about, like, why was I so happy at that moment? Oh, it was because of this whole thing with Madame and gender and okay. all that stuff. So this Let is me more reframe. a essay. 9A spends a single, full-page, unbroken paragraph explaining how they have fixed the concept of gender, which flies directly in the face of everything else that we have learned about gender in this book. But it is presented in the text as like a, hey, see, it's, it's all good. Women actually do fix stuff. Ha ha. And, um, I don't know. That doesn't seem great to me. Uh, so the 
the triumvirate, our triumvirate, our spoiler triumvirate, has given me the special mission during this chapter of making sure that we do not produce more bad takes about this chapter, because apparently they're very common from people who read this chapter <laughs> for the first time. Uh, and I think we're going about it in the way that they want. I think this is 9A being very wrong. <laughs> Wait. Like, in, uh, hmm? Wait. What do other people say when they read this chapter? So apparently some people take this chapter and basically read it at face value as 9A is right. Like, oh yeah, we beat sexism. Hell yeah. You know, uh, apparently some people take it that way. <laughs> that is the attitude that I felt like this was an unfortunate straw man of. <laughs> yeah, it's like, literally... <laughs> Like, how could you possibly think, after reading the many essays in this book about how the way that you fail to defeat sexism is to hubristically claim that you've already defeated sexism, and then read this and be like, hell yeah, this time it worked, we're out. <laughs> I guess that's just what you get when you have 9A as a narrator. <laughs> but like it's it's not super weird that 9A would have weird views on this because they were introduced to madames in like a very weird context where probably a bunch of bad stuff was done uh with them because they had to deal with Dominic and stuff. So like their their whole conception of gender is probably a little wibbly. Okay, but here's the problem. They also read Mycroft's book! Like, you can't give 9A the, the pass on this, because they know, bare minimum, as much as we do. Hmm. Uh, it's also worth noting, I guess, uh, just, just for the sake of it, that what we learn about people's sexes is... Uh, Papa, Aesop, Martin, Eloise, Huang Onlai, Toshi Mitsubishi, Su Hyun, uh... Do, do, do. Jim and Jin, uh, Xiaolu, Briar Kasala are all biologically female in the sense they they, they don't have a penis. Uh, and then uh, in the category of something that 18th century people wouldn't understand as traditionally masculine, uh, they put uh, Carlisle, Sniper, Eureka, Cookie, Dominic, and Cato. I remember there was a weird implication that Jehovah was in that list too. Oh, so Jehovah was weird. It was um some people think of Jed as male, uh, but some people think of the sky as male, as personified in Zeus. Some people think of the moon as male, but I see it personified in Celestine or something, uh, who is female. So like basically 9A says eh, some people think he's male, but I think the fact that Jed is a god is more relevant for gendering than what's between their legs. What I think is happening there is that 9A wants to have more important people on his females list and is stretching. Uh, not mm. male. Uh, I think that's like, that's the, the category they're going for in the, the second half of the list. Um, but... And then for, for male, just to finish it out, we get Vivian, Lochin, Faust, Achilles, and Tully Mardi. Though they say like Tully Mardi is pushing it. Uh, as uh, definitively male, and maybe also Jed. How is Talimadi pushing it? Is it that Talimadi is, like, disabled? Or is, like, Talimadi intersex? I don't know what to tell you. Or is Talimadi, like, 
constantly <laughs> obviously well, non-binary like, in some sense that no one has ever actually told us. Well, like some of the other like people on the gender queer list, some of them include people who are like we know what their genitalia is, right? For one reason or another, like we know what snipers is, and it's both. They're they're intersex. Um, I think Cato. I don't think we get Cato's at any point, but we say we hear hear that they are asexual, which could mean they so, don't have. So that we, usually what that means is they don't have sexual attraction or they don't want to do sexual attraction in the traditional way. Though in this case, they might be using the non-standard definition of they literally don't have sexual characteristics. It could no, be no, the we, case. We that- have some real clues for Cato, right? Um, the problem is they contradict because Cato is on one hand the mad scientist, which is always a man, but on oh, the other well- hand is Helen, who. Well, you know, it'd throw some rocks into the story. Let's put it that way. You're sounding like Mary- 9A when you say that argument. I just want to let you know, let you when know did, that. When did Mary Which Shelley part? write Frankenstein? What? Uh, no, that's romantic. It's after, it's 1800s. Yeah. Okay. Which but part? Like, this is super well, reasonable I- of me. I'm pretty confident Helen had a kid. Well, but <laughs> that's like- not the, the argument where you're like, well, my scientist is a man, but Helen is a woman. That's why I guess he knows Helen is in between. Um, but the first category here is just <laughs> anyone who doesn't have a penis, yeah. right? Because, like, a bunch of these people are clearly masculine roles. Because, like, Martin, like for in example, the sp- you can't really tell me Martin's not a masculine role. Okay, Martin could be a ma- could not be a masculine role. That's fine. Um, the thing that the real okay. stinker on this list is fucking Dominic, who is specifically masculine in a specific way. <laughs> Okay, but again, Dominic is just under the unusual label. And I think even, I think it's it's probably fair to say that while Dominic, uh, uh, like, goes as hard as they can into masculinity, people in the 1800s would probably have some opinions about the fact that they're biologically female. And then they'd get stabbed. Like, why did, the, the book can't have been more straightforward about how Dominic is the most male person. Like, including Mason, ruler of the concept of being a man, apparently. What? Okay, Okay, but, like, generally in this book, when we're talking about gender, we're talking about either someone's, like, uh, uh, sort of uh, preferred and goal gender, right? Uh, Occasionally. Or we're talking Uh about like gender as literary trope right but specifically what? not in this chapter where 9a gives a shit about sex specifically what are you talking about we're usually talking about neither of those things we're usually talking about gender as a social construct which is deeply relevant to the way the madame runs her thing and the way madame ex- the thing that specifically that Bastam exploits Okay, I think the yeah. line between gender as social role and gender as literary concept, or as, like, literary concept is pretty hard to draw, but yes, I, I sure. Yeah. Like, hey, Johnny, gender. you know that's exactly what I think? Excellent work. <laughs> Goal gender comes up only for, like, sniper. <laughs> yeah, only for a couple of people, but, like, it, but it does come up sometimes. And that's it. And every cousin and Mason, apparently. No, no, but their like, their goals, their goaltender is not a uh, man and a woman. 
Well, but like Vivian and but, um, Kasala, for example, I would say in the like we know in the context of their sex play that they give a shit about being men and women. Now we also find out here that as far as sexual characteristics, they also just are men and women in that context. Um, but we know that the goals that they aspire towards are those that we would, in contemporary society, ascribe to men and women. So what else would you mean when you say that they're men and women, if not that? What? Well, a couple of things. Uh, people are men and women not just because they aspire towards masculine or feminine goals, but they aspire to be men or women. That's what I thought also, was the entire idea behind your gender good those are just constellations of goals yeah but not but you you can aspire towards one of the goals without aspiring towards the entire constellation i think it's pretty clear even though some masons aspire towards masculine goals uh and some cousins aspire towards feminine goals uh they don't aspire towards being men and women also not to get uh, yeah down a sidetrack but i i I think there's a, a very real argument to be made that kasala doesn't actually want to be a woman or especially be feminine. She just happens to have a fetish. Very obviously, like, the, the first time it comes up outside of Madame, someone's like, you're a woman. Madame Brian's like, fuck you. <laughs> Don't fucking bring she, up my She actually, fetish. she has a very good line of like, <laughs> uh, you don't need to bring up my gender fetish or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and like, I think she specifically wants to be feminine in the context of kink play, right? But I don't think she does the rest of the time. Um, but she does lead the cousins, and we're we're textually told, and I've taken at face value, that the cousins are what women are. How's how's uh, taking the text at face value going for you, Mr. Fucking the Utopians are the best hive? Honestly, still on net... Not that bad. Like, better than me attempting to improvise, frankly. Um, also, Masons are the best hive. Don't you gaslight me. <laughs> you literally said, you've said the words, the Mason, sorry, the Utopians are just every hive but better. I said, they take all the things other hives do, uh, and is their main thing, and then they do them better. Yes. yes. That's yes. real annoying about the Utopians. But you know what? Actually, they don't. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, apparently the Gordian thing is being right and predicting shit. And, uh, but, well, no, still the Utopians get that because apparently they, they predicted the war sooner than the Brillists. It may have been a Brillist who came up with the war thing in the Marty Bash. Oh, yeah, that's true. I also love that they have this long, uh, and it has this long rant about how it defeated ancient toxic hierarchies. Literally moments after Danae tried to use an ancient toxic hierarchy on them. Yeah, so that's that's a really fun one. I um, So What's... she uses the phrase uh, regarding Jed, like something like, he is kinder than any man of woman born who walked this earth and was called human, which is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, because it's gendered language, which is still weird for most people. He just, <laughs> Nine Ages doesn't think to mention it, but like, that's, that would be super weird and alienating to Leslie, who has never been to Madame's. She would be like, why the fuck are you saying man of woman born? <laughs> What's up with um, this? 
And also, of course, it's a Shakespeare reference because Macbeth got screwed over because he thought that man of woman born was a class which included every single living person. And that proved untrue because of the exception of cesarean sections. So my theory is this was maybe a reminder from Denia that non-standard persons can still be persons and was thus subtly pro-set-set language. Let me, uh, let me do you one better on 9A declaring oppression to have ended. 9A declares oppression and toxic hierarchy to be over. <laughs> While presently Not just being... seconds after being reminded, but immediately after taking control of the strongest and most rigid hierarchy in the world. <laughs> they become Mason. They are Empire. And then they go, yeah, we're fucking kicking ass. No more oppression. Everyone's on an equal playing field. <laughs> And then turn well, to I their mean, aide, who says, like, what the fuck do you mean if Masons feel like it? We do as you tell us to do. Uh, and they're just like, yeah, I'm the best at this. No more hierarchies. So I, I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I pointed it out in the chapter where it happens, but I think maybe my favorite 9A quote, at least in context, is... Uh, Ours is a fundamentally flawed and eventually doomed succession system, like all monarchies, <laughs> regarding the anonymous succession system while they are also Mason. <laughs> this is, like, I think every single monarchy in this world has just gone to shit. Because every single one of them has relied on being on one heir, Jed, who is immediately taken hostage. <laughs> yeah, not a single fucking monarchy in this setting, which has at least, like, four, has has gone without disastrously fucking up. Uh, like, so, like, 9A is correct, but also it's just like, dude, how do you square this, this dissonance in your head that you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I found the quote. Ours is a bizarre succession system, and someday it will fail, probably disastrously, as all monarchies do. In the midst of, like, three different succession crises. That's how they know. And they're just like, and that's a problem for later. <laughs> and I will not think about how we might change or prevent that. <laughs> Hopefully, Carlisle will have higher standards. Here's my here's my hope for the position of the anonymous and Carlisle, who's now an okay character. Um, it's that Carlisle will have heard Nine A's speech and heard like, yeah, I guessed Mycroft was the anonymous seventeen years before they became the anonymous, but it counted anyway. And Carlisle went, "What? What are you talking about? The whole point <laughs> is that it's like a test to make sure you're good at the job." And Nine A goes, "Ah, fuck that! I knew the right person." Um, <laughs> And Carlisle is going to think, I should wait till someone figures it out by being, like, good at rhetoric and stuff. And maybe so, maybe we'll actually, tease our way out of this problem state. I, I did have a question based on chapter 23 that I'd like to ask while I have the chance, which is, if Faust had got it, right? Uh, if Faust had just immediately figured out, like, oh, Carlisle's the anonymous. Um, where would that put Faust on the... Uh, ranking order of l anonymous legitimacy because like 
As far as we know, current anonymouses are Vivian got it by being the censor and having a bunch of data nobody else had access to. Uh, Mycroft got it what? by being hit. I just, I is that not it? Test the first one. Uh, I I'm, think Vivian yeah. did it for real. Yeah. And I think Mycroft also pretty much did it for real. Yeah. Well, but he was Vivian's apprentice. No, he wasn't. Kohaku was not- Vivian's apprentice. He wrote oh, the letter right. way, way before that all happened. Yeah, like right, he, right. he probably okay. did meet the censor. Like that, like that probably did happen. Like Mikov was taken around to everybody's things, introduced as like an important person. Um, but he wasn't like incredibly I, I, close. I could have sworn though that when Vivian like comes out as the anonymous to in Seven Surrenders, they say like, "Hey, so the fact that I was the censor did give me additional information no, 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 no. that helped me." They said, do this. "Uh, I'm the censor and the anonymous. That's weird. It hasn't happened. Won't happen again. I'm the censor and the anonymous because I, I use the same skills for both." Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I He's use just- the same skills. Okay, yeah. fine, but I, I, I find it slightly implausible that it wouldn't give you an advantage to have, like, all the fucking metadata of every human on Earth at your disposal. I think it probably we- would, but, like, Mycroft did it as a tiny child and just hid the letter and didn't mail it. Yeah. Um, and then 9A, utter bullshit. Carlisle, just, just also Just following utter bullshit. My, uh, Mycroft around constantly every day, and then they figured it out that way. Well, honestly, it's not that they figured it out. It's that they spent enough time in his presence saying words to him that he monkeys on a typewriter generated, <laughs> hey, you could be the anonymous. And then ha- that happened to be right. <laughs> and then Faust, below Mycroft, definitely above Carlisle, above 9A. Like, he, he's not doing it right because he just saw someone being weird. Like, Carlisle hadn't written anything yet. Here's what I would say, though. Uh, Faust, given the opportunities he's had to interact with Carlisle, basically has a psych profile on Carlisle already, which is a ridiculous, unfair advantage to have for getting the the anonymous. Yeah, but he didn't even use it. Faust has a psych profile on literally every human being. This is like a fact we know. They use it for simulation. And yet, apparently, most of the time, the anonymous is not a realist. (laughs) That's odd. I agree. It's strange. Maybe Brillists are bad at rhetoric. Maybe Brillists... You know, actually... Maybe the head of the Brillist Institute deliberately tries to, like, not be anonymous. Doesn't... Or, every time someone becomes the anonymous, they have an afternoon where they mail all of their friends and important figures, and they're like, hey, uh, you haven't guessed this yet, and now you can't. Yeah. You know what it might also be is that it, it could just be that, like, the re- the actual reason that the anonymous succession system works that way, where it's just like, oh yeah, any fucking person who says anything, no matter when they said it, can guess that you are the anonymous, is to prevent Brillists <laughs> from becoming the anonymous, because it'll almost inevitably happen first because of random bullshit if you just allow any fucking thing to work. I hope not. Um... So, are we going to talk about the very silly thing that shouldn't work that happens in this chapter? The, um... Which one? Aleph thing? Anyone asking Jehovah any questions? Oh! Yeah, so... Yeah, the, uh... 
So, Homeland, we talked about Homeland. They have a meeting between Homeland and Remaker and High No, we haven't actually Homeland talked about said, Homeland. Uh, I just, like, made fun of the EU. Um, no, no, we explained what happened, that, that Mitsubishi basically absorbed Europe and they became... Yeah, but I want to describe how. Uh, okay. Because Ilya, uh, when get, the Ganymedes faction tried to sweep through uh, Europe, uh, Europe and the Mediterranean, with this sort of humanist European alliance... Uh, founded upon the sort of legitimacy of the, of the of Isabel, um, broke down. Um, Danae, uh, later, finally forced to actually be a public leader. Uh, and she's been, like, important for a very long time. Just fucking instantly succeeded <laughs> as soon as she tried. Well, but she's, so she's been, like, behind Ganymede's and Ando's political moves, right, this entire time, right? Like, for example, the, the success of the Mitsubishi in ousting Dominic was her. She had that plan. She gave it to Ando, who implemented the plan. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Danae's really good at doing politics. Hey, uh, sorry to interrupt. How many times do you think Danae had to faint on command to get to where she is now? Like, in the <laughs> war? In during the war? Yeah. No times, and then she had to do it once to get this position. Okay. Well, I think, like, uh, honestly... It is her like, favorite trick. <laughs> if we're talking it's about, It's your like, favorite trick. It's a good trick. Classical gendery <laughs> things. There is kind of a classical gendery trope of, uh, like, widowed wife who takes control of a situation because of her husband got killed doing the war. Yeah, that's a, that's a sort of common thing. And... If Madame's was still an influence, that would be the fig leaf she hides behind. But really what's happening, I think, is that Dene doesn't like being front and center for reasons probably to do with Madame, uh, and has ran out of figures to hide behind, and so has to, like, <laughs> just do it. And so she does it. And so she claims... Yeah, and she's very good at uh, Through yeah. Ando. As she would uh, be. She claims through Ando, homeland. And she claims through Ganymede, Europe. She doesn't actually end up dragging the humanists along. Um, but she does... That's the wild Is thing, that- honestly. I'm sorry. Just not to, not to interrupt, but like... That's the most impressive part. Is that like in a... As we are described unbelievably fractious like uh, governmental alliance structure that is the Mitsubishi she manages to pull together oh no you should just give it to me the guy's wife right like not any of you million like leaders of sub factions who surely also want this title me wait that <laughs> makes perfect sense uh Ganymede's yeah. sorry uh, Ando's just... faction is like around a family that Hando controlled, so it then goes to his wife. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, the fact that she didn't immediately get cooed by 60 people is imme- is is very impressive. Okay, but Johnny, Danae was raised by Madame to be an evil, calculating political mastermind. This is exactly her job. I'm not saying it's necessarily surprising, given what we know of her. I'm just saying it's very impressive. I don't think there's going to be not necessarily this many coups. All the people who would do coups, like the Mitsubishi, like the Ando's actual family, knows that best bet is with Danae, right? Uh, so the only people who want mm-hmm. to coup are people who aren't Danae's, aren't Ando's family, and all of those people have literally gone off inside of their own governments, like they're Dugong, 
right? They're mm-hmm. Mirai. They're Greenpeace. They're just not a member of the Homeland Alliance. Which is a great Sorry. system, because it gives could you, you more... <laughs> Go. Could you say that thing you said at the start again, about how you don't think there's going to be that many more coups? <laughs> Me? Yeah, I just want the audio of that kind of clean. I didn't... No, coups of Danae. <laughs> mm. If okay. you had to guess, how many more coups would you say are going to happen in this book? The humans are going to get cooed, um, because... That's one? Uh, right? Um, you aren't going to be cooed because they've been literally... Co- they've been absorbed by Mitsubishi, but the other Mitsubishi connection... Yeah, you can't be cooed if you're... Ga- oh, it's, can't be cooed if you're But dead. there might Good be at least one other coup in the Mitsubishi. The cousins are going to have a coup, um, because Saul's going to have to die, and she's the sole unifying factor, which means they have to go to Halloween, which means the notes are going to leave. They're going to try to do a coup, or they're going to kill people. Um, okay. Uh, if Jed wins, is that a coup because he declared war on everybody? Uh, it depends how he wins. Okay. Uh, I'm going to call that a half. Yeah. If Jed wins because he accepts the oath, uh, no, he's just like, that's just nat- that's a normal succession part- path of the Masons. If Jed wins because at the last moment the Gordians do pull some shit and make Jed with an emperor without doing an oath, yeah, that's a coup. Um, well, but like, he, he demanded the total su- surrender of everybody. That's, if that's what he gets, it, does that mean he gets six coups because all the hives surrendered to him except for Mason? No. no. Obviously not. What? Okay. Well, because he said war, and war is violence, and your standard is that if it's violent, it's That's a not coup. my standard. Hey, if Martin shows up, if Mycroft shows up, mm-hmm. and is now the uh, acting emperor, is that a coup? No, but if 9A takes responsibility away from Mycroft and attempt to do something else, that would be a coup. Okay. Okay. Um, Can I get back to Cornell my point If Cornell Mason now? comes back to yes, life, yes, go on. is that a coup? Uh, no, but he should be murdered. Um. <laughs> Ethically. Ethically. Um. Okay. So, has, has, uh, Dene has, through Ando, pulled the Mitsubishi, through, um, Ganymede, she sort of claims the title of Mariscala, which is not, like, a made-up title, so she just sort of takes it and pulls along the human, the, EU half now, of the Humanist EU Alliance. Um, I, I will point out that a very clever friend of mine recently said that all titles and all governments are made up. <laughs> so, like, you know. That's fair. Um, and I do believe that. But um, Ganymede literally made it up not even a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And there's no, like, set successor path that even he bothered to make up. So she just takes it. Yeah, he he was on the uh the the classy succession path of I'll never die and uh and because end of sentence. the EU has like and because we have to imagine what the Mediterranean is like, right? Cuz the Mediterranean was composed of Mitsubishi and all Mitsubishi occupiers and EU people being occupied. And now they're both on the same side maybe. But some sections that Mitsubishi fleet. Um so like they're probably driven out all of the non-homeland Mitsubishi on the Mediterranean. 
Uh, they probably are just they probably just have control of the Mediterranean uh, homeland and probably have control of a lot of Europe, um, and Spain in particular. And because the EU has sort of fractured uh, into like a, a dozen uh, independent things that only care about each other, uh, the less comparatively less fractured Mitsubishi homeland can just sweep in and take them. Yeah. Uh, and apparently that all worked out in her favor, because now she commands uh, the largest force of non-aligned to either of the two major sides uh, uh, group in the world. Homeland is a significant force. Mm -hmm. And then she just talks to the Americans. Yeah. A feat that few have accomplished, because we still don't fucking know what the fuck Vivian is doing. Um, Vivian is not the Americans. That's why I say this group to be I another thought Vivian coup. was. Uh, I thought Vivian was in Vivian's America. in America, but Vivian was not the Americans. The OSA are the Americans. Yeah. Oh right, right, right. It's even we the OSA, the USA. Like it's very direct parallel being made here. We find out that it's not that they have a commander. And the commander has the ability to negotiate. And it's Leslie. Yeah, yeah. weirdly enough. Leslie, who has a kid, uh, who isn't going to be a set set, I guess. Oh, man. Do you think Eureka knows yet? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's weird. Is Leslie. Eureka the is going to be mad. No, there was. They were going to send their first kid off to be a set set, but they just can't. Oh. Yeah. Set sets are kind of your civilization's got to be going well. For they at least have to be able to set. fly the baby to the single Cartesian bash, which has probably been blown up. Yeah, this is. Uh, they could do. They could try for like a basket. like a DIY set set. You know. <laughs> Man, I wonder if that's gonna like do one of those like the Body up. Works exhibit where you cast the baby in wax. <laughs> what is that? What? What's the goal of that? How would that help? Well, because now they won't change, just like a set set. <laughs> mm. Jesus. But could it do computer things? You know, sometimes when you do DIY, you don't get the functionality. <laughs> um, you just get the intent. <laughs> and and your, your statement here is that the intent of set sets is to kill a child. That's That's the goal, and anything else is just kind of... A secondary side effect. If there's nothing else I've learned from the cousins, yes. <laughs> hmm. The cousins, once again, don't, none of them think that set sets are murdered. These set sets are abused. The Gordians are the ones no. who need to fucking hang them <laughs> at random. I mean, to be fair, like, we say none of the Like, these, we see mo mostly the leaders, but surely there's internal fractious groups, right? Surely there are nurturists within the cousins who do think it's just Yeah, nurturers, sure. Right? But, like, um, the primary critique we've seen from cousin nurturists are that sets are abused, not that sets aren't alive. Yeah. They could theoretically be rehabilitated if you let us... That's you know, what Cookie has been telling us how to do yeah. in the broadcasts. Yeah, if you if you put them in some sort of like, <laughs> like a, a conversation, hey, a con camp. a conversion camp of some kind, you know, right, right. We put them all like let's say we sort of get them all in one place, right? We we concentrate the population, um, like you're boiling down a stew, uh, and then we constant and then we can uh, 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 convert them from one thing into another thing. Yeah, that's the system. Um, so, a genuine question. 
what ha- what's going on with Cookie? Cookie's dead. You know, I thought Cookie, like, obviously we saw a Cookie-ish thing explode. Um, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it was Everybody cookie, thought it was right? being weird when I thought maybe it wasn't Cookie. So if I was trying to be right, I'm going to be, you know, sour. So Cookie is named as one of the people who is, like, doing stuff, No, right? Cookie is named as a... On... Uh, as one of the people who was not classically masculine, who's been a significant person in the war. And they were a significant person in the I, war. But I thought it was... But, but I thought Nina's whole point is it's the people who are currently in positions of power. They were. I guess my question is, Cookie seems to have just dropped out of this story. Because she died. And no one is asking questions about... What happened to Cookie? Because can Nine they do it to other people? Literally, is saw Faust them a die. Cookie bot? By the way, just just a brief tie back to the, the that whole thing. Like on the list of women in power, I just want to point out it includes Su Hyun, Jin and Jin, and uh, 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 and Briar and Cookie. So like. This is the most, like, oh, yeah, Margaret Thatcher, girl power kind of <laughs> feminism, right? Where it's like, oh, yeah, we don't give a shit what they do. We just care that they're women. But to, to be fair, Nine, that is the point. The point is not that women in power is, is that better. That is the point that Nine is making. I'm saying it's a bad I'm, point. I'm simply noting that Nine A's point isn't that women in power are better. It's just that women, in po- women are in power after the war. Hmm. I, for one, can't believe that our audience thought they needed Johnny to rein me in on my gender takes. They've all been very reasonable. I can't believe they thought we would take anything in the story at face value. You, Liam literally has said many times that what he needs to start doing is taking everything the story tells us at and face And he's value. consistently I'm failed. trying. He's it's con- just so hard. <laughs> He's not succeeded even it's really once. tough. So, like, I don't know what to say. Like, it was not... It's not, it's not. Surely he's succeeded once or twice. I, I think you did at least get... The witch uh, thing. I think you got it right regarding, like, uh, the Odysseus stuff. That's not oh, yeah. I, I, I think you correctly predicted that. Absolutely, well, yeah, I was. Di- <laughs> yeah, you, you, you were, because... It not, like, I'm pretty sure Mycroft says before that point in the story, like, oh yeah, what's going on is the Iliad. <laughs> But he's wrong. No, he's, not he's right. Wrong. He's not. But it's not just the Iliad, right? We 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 know what's going on is also the Odyssey. I mean, for one thing, he. I, I guess you're right that he's wrong there, right? Because there is not the Iliad. The the Odyssey does not take place as a side quest in the it happens Iliad, after. right? Yeah. How many books does the Iliad have again? Oh, I don't know. Like a ton. Like in the. At least 20. I think just 20. Hey, did we have 20 books of war? 20 chapters of war? Uh, uh, my copy of the Iliad is next to me. Let me, let me check. Maybe 24? Oh, let's see here. I mean, are, are, you, are you saying that this is the end of the war? I mean, book 21 appears to... No, book 22. Book 23. Book 24, The Body of Hector Ransomed. 25? I think there is a 25. It's getting hard to flip through the book this close to the end. 26? Plus, like, 24. We know that our... 24? There are 24 books. 
okay. in the Iliad. Oh, interesting. So, um, uh, but we know from our good friend Hobbes that war is defined not as the time where m- dudes are killing other dudes, but as the time where there is the will to battle. And the last book was called Will to Battle. So, I think if you're trying to make a direct comparison, you're going to have a hard time. Uh, you have to compare to a a sixteenth um, and seventeenth century person for my direct to Greek reference. The Greeks didn't think that. The Greeks thought war was fighting. Milo's going to yell at me. All oh, right, and, uh, but right, I maintain Hobbites probably agree with me on the whole. Um, right, and as we know from Mason, if an ideology is older, it is more correct. I'm just comparing directly to the Iliad. <laughs> I don't. I, there are other senses of war which are useful. I'm talking about the Hobbites' concept of war specifically. Um, I also know Hobbites aren't a thing in the Iliad. Murder. I know some things. Um, and chapter it'll one, probably be fine uh, is nothing in this book it is a page and it's not described the actual war so we start at chapter 2 after like all these books so I predict next chapter the world's gonna end that'd be nice okay so um, uh, I don't know how can we talk literally... about what happens in the negotiations <laughs> I feel like, to talk about something other than negotiations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you you very likely might be right about the war ending. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't think you're at all getting there in an appropriate way. Uh, <laughs> I think what you're doing secretly is you're observing how little book is left and going... Yeah, we just had a peace talk. War well, ends actually, next here's chapter. Here's another question: Which of the multiple wars going on right now is the Iliad's Trojan? War? They're just gonna what? The one Achilles is the doing. The one Achilles is doing. Okay, which one is Achilles doing? The one we killing been... Kosala and the cousins and for taking Dugong something from the Masons and Greenpeace and the Guardians. Okay, so so who is Troy and who is the Achaean host? The what? The Achaean host. Who is Troy and who is the Achaean host? The Masons must Who was be... the Achaean host? The the Masons. Did they have a host? No, no, the army. The host is the term for the, the whole group of Achaean fighters. The army. Oh, no. <laughs> sure. Uh, I don't know who Troy is, honestly. Uh, we know who Troy is. Uh, it's is compo- it Utopia? It's composed of... The cousins, because Kosal leads those. Romanova, or just Suhyan, maybe. <laughs> what? I just sneezed. I'm sorry. I don't believe you, but okay. No, I, it, I did. It sounded like a sneeze. It sounded like a laugh. That's how I laugh. That's how I laugh when no. I try to bite myself in. I, w- I, I promise I was just okay. sneezing. Well, now I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the cousins and Vivian, uh-huh. right? Because Vivian is the is the wife of Kosala. Um, but Vivian also, no, I guess that was someone else. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and we know Sniper is Paris. Um, so the um, so I guess the Hive Guard, the Humanists, and the Cousins 
Are you are you sure the utopians aren't <laughs> Paris? No. What? You but they kidnapped you mean Helen. Troy. Yeah, you'd think that, right? But uh, clearly, I sniper, would think that. Clearly, sniper is Paris, right? Like, obviously. Who is sniper trying to marry? Is it anyone? Sniper. Ju- Julia. But sniper and um, OS literally kept Cato hostage. That's like a plot point. But Helen isn't rescued at the start of the Iliad. Plus, like, Paris is a famous archer, well, right? And Sniper is a famous Cato sniper. isn't safe right now, right? Cato is up in space uh, and could come down and be captured by Troy. Hmm. But that also needs to have happened before the Iliad. Look, what's happening in this story... Well, I mean, does it? We've been told that thing. We've been shown that things can happen out of order. Yeah. Mm. What's happening here is that, like, there's in between war, and they're like big set pieces. And the set pieces, everything happens exactly right with the correct people in the correct place doing exactly what those people would have done. This happened with the Odyssey trip. This happened with the, um, with the, um, the Patroclus bit, right? Um, this happened yeah. when Mycroft came. Uh, and was greeted by uh, Blue. Um, so, like, on those places, like, for the important bits, yeah, exactly right, exactly right people are going to be there. Um, but in between, things have to, like, shift around in order to make sure people are in the right place and stuff. Um, and I maintain, Sniper is so obviously Paris. Like, Paris kills Achilles with, like, an arrow, and Sniper is called Sniper. Paris is known for uh, their incredible beauty. Sniper is known for being so fucking hot. Um, here's here's the only reason I'm doubting you. Mm-hmm. Achilles says Sniper is Paris. Yeah. And you think Achilles is wrong about shit? I think... I feel like that must be a fake-out on the part of the book, and Paris will mm-hmm. be a surprise. I mean, do, do you know this book to be about fake-outs, or do you know this book to be about telling you exactly what's going to happen ages before it happens, and then you looking back and being like, motherfucker, you literally told me, and I completely ignored both. you. Both. Clearly both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Casimir Perry stuff, you know. Papa... Papa wasn't a fake-out. Mycroft being a bad person. We figured out Papa. I mean, Papa could have been a fake-out if you had gone down the path that uh, Mycroft suggests in that chapter, where it's like, his name is fucking Hector. You could assume that he's the Hector. <laughs> why would you... I huh. at no point assumed Papa de was Hector. Because why would he be Hector? Neither yeah, did I. It doesn't really fit. Uh... It doesn't really fit, but you totally could have thought that. Nobody else's name, so therefore Achilles is, like, really on point. So, like, yeah, it's obvious that's not, that's not the way this book is going. Um, hmm. um, I guess Mycroft is named Mycroft and is also really good at solving mysteries. Mycroft Holmes famously just sat around doing nothing. Being better than his brother. Yeah. 
Yeah, but was he? I mean, he didn't really solve a lot of mysteries. I think did like he? once like that wasn't his. Holmes went to him with the thing, and Mycroft solved it like immediately or something. <laughs> okay. His whole shtick is he hangs out, uh, in like a gentleman's club, and every time we see him, he immediately solves everything, and then other problems have to happen because Mycroft Holmes is so incredibly good that there's no point in having a story if he was the protagonist. That's that's interesting because that's not at all how I would describe our Mycroft, right? Like, what he is really good at a lot of stuff, but he tries incredibly hard and rarely succeeds. He's really good at specifically solving mysteries. Is he? There's been a lot of mysteries in this series, and I don't think he's solved any of them except the Anonymous. That's a pretty big one. Um, it is a pretty big one, but like the the he, the there's been a bunch of others. The mystery of the best way to kill your family. <laughs> okay, but like as far as actual mysteries that they were trying to solve, like they tried to figure out who stabbed him in the back, and he just fucking didn't do that at all. Now, so, I will grant you, he had eighty other jobs at that time he was trying to do. But if it was something he could just do trivially, then maybe he would have just like spent five minutes thinking about it and been like, "Oh, it was that guy." Here's the thing. No, he wouldn't. Uh, he didn't. And no one told him to try to figure it out. Martin just started using him as bait in the pursuit of doing okay. his own job. Yes, but Martin also, like, hangs out with Mycroft a bunch during the during the writing of the first two books, remember? Because ha- Mycroft is always on suicide watch, and it mentions that Mycroft, uh, that Martin is often the one watching him. So they would have had plenty of time to chat. And Martin talks sometimes. So, like, uh, it very easily could have been the case. Oh, actually, come to think of it, that's Maybe. probably one of those cases where actually it was a different guild breaker. Damn, right? you beat me. There was that's exactly gu- what I was going to say. That could have been a different... Yeah. And maybe it's other guild breakers that talk sometimes, and Martin doesn't speak. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> it, it honestly could be that, like, the one who was investigating the Mycroft stuff was just a different guy than the one that Mycroft actually had a chance to talk to. So... Yeah, I, I guess that's plausible. And I guess given, again, the fact that Mycroft had, like, 80 other jobs at that time that, that were really important and had to be finished quickly, uh, it's reasonable that they wouldn't have given a lot of thought to their own stabbing. Also, they don't care about themselves, right? Like, their self-destructive tendency is well-established. Uh, okay, so, like, side note. Uh, I want to talk about the first thing in this chapter. The mm-hmm. title. I have to move the mountain. Yes. And the mountain here is Jehovah. Yeah. And... Does this mean we can finally get to negotiations? Hey, wait. Okay. They have to move the mountain. And they talk about the... Um, we know the, em- the, the Mason is the Mountain Emperor. Uh, which, again... Cornell Mason or Scleratus Mason. No. All of them are. That's the term they use for the, for the uh, Masonic Emperor. Uh... No, I think specifically no. Cornell got that. Okay, it's, whatever. It's it's a general term. Okay. Uh, they reference it, right? They say something like, oh, um, uh, Mason is next to be the term they use, and it specifically means like son of mountain. Instead of son of heaven, the other term for mountain. Other term for emperor. Um, which I thought at the time was like a clever thing where like they didn't talk, want to talk about heaven anymore. 
but it's entirely it's an entirely mm-hmm. different thing. But it has been self consistent. That's a note. It's like yeah. it's in the second book that they mention this term, and they only explain it now. Okay. Second. Well, I I, I, I think like this um this uh chapter title is a reference to a like religious saying. Oh. Uh if we can't move get Muhammad to the mountain, we have to give mountain the mountain to Muhammad. Hmm. That that I like that because it does imply like you know, there's been speculation that maybe the Masons are more Islamic than other places and peoples. This is specifically nine. I don't think that's speculation. Nine. Well, yeah, but nine a like Mycroft, but less does love their like fitting uh, cultural allusions and references. So I could totally see them being like, "What am I going to name this chapter?" Oh, I know, it's a Mason-related thing, so I'll use an, a, a a vaguely like Islamic but, reference. But Nine A is like specifically doesn't like to think about this, and it makes them uncomfortable. Unlike say Minecraft, hmm. that's not true. Minecraft also is like this is like think about making ethnicity because they're a lot of them are Turkish. I mean, we get an explanation of why the chapter is called that later in the chapter, where he's like, Jed is so important to, he's like a pillar of my universe, and to move him seems impossible, uh, because to move him would be to move the universe itself, but I have to move the mountain. And then he does. It turns out, bad news. It wasn't that hard. The secret thing no one tried was just asking simple (laughs) questions. Yeah, so this is so Johnny, funny. It's so you funny. You predicted how. at the start of this book that I would find oh. the end immensely unsatisfying and hate it. Congratulations. <laughs> it turns out uh, during this book, literally no one has spent any time asking uh, Jed even the simple questions about what the world's going to be like next. So it, it's, it's actually maybe even worse than that right uh because the what what happens is they you know uh the, the negotiators are like look homeland says i want to fight for remaker but there's a couple things i need as guarantees like basic things that i think are pretty reasonable and if you can give me those guarantees all our forces go to you so fucking no excuses go ask jed to give us those guarantees and because if we can we're with the if he if he can do that we're with you if he can't do that we're with the other guys um and so they they're like okay i guess it's final hour time uh and we go to jed uh uh and we bring him into the 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 call uh and actually i don't know why they're allowed to do that because wasn't the whole issue that they had to like 9A has to keep to uh, Cornell Mason's existing commands, which include keeping uh, Jed trapped until he can... Uh... No. Oh, right, because there he was... Doesn't. He made that one statement about how you it, it may be okay to make conditional uh, approval for people to talk with him, not just, just not to release but, him. But, like, more importantly, they don't have to. They are Emperor. <laughs> Yeah, They're that's only... the other thing. Is like I wanted to talk much about in that. The way, um, much in the way that you could have just asked him, you could have just said, "Hey, fuck you and fuck your precedent. I'm changing the precedent. I'm the fucking emperor." Like that was always yeah, an option. Here's the thing: was it? I genuinely can't tell how much Emperor Nine A is right now. They're less emperor than other emperors, but like ultimately, 
They're the fucking emperor. They can decide how much the emperor they are. There's no constitution. Like, there There's... might be. <laughs> no? Yeah, but nobody has ever seen it. it would All be of the Masons just like seem the Mason. to know the same things about how everything is supposed to work. I don't okay, know how they I, know I, them. I really think that that's just because they're doing the shit that Cornell said to Jed, which is, if you want to understand the Masons, look to the actions of the Masons. We won't explain what what our deal is, but we act based on a consistent set of principles which you can determine based on observation. So observe us and, like, get the gist. Um, and I think most people in this world have gotten the gist. And, and or... Like, probably the people in 9A's cabinet have a more specific version of the gist, where they've, like, actually studied every single action of every single previous emperor for any precedent it might have established. But ultimately, it's up to 9A, as the emperor, to be the one who's like, I'm the only one allowed to actually know, so fuck you, we'll do what I say. Which makes... Well, that's not true. But it makes a certain amount of sense. Because before, right... All the emperors are acting on some oath, and you could try to figure out what the emperor's going to do based on the previous emperors, but this emperor is the only one alive who knows the oath. So, of course, they're the one who's going to, like, have the final decision. Like, you have to trust them when they say, actually, we're doing X now. So, not here's true. the other thing, though. It's now actively untrue. 9A yeah. has not seen the oath. I know. But I'm saying, in general, it makes sense. As a way oh, of in acting. general, yes. I, I, it, it's, it's pretty coherent if the Masonic Empire is working the way it's supposed to work. Man, wouldn't it be great if, if as part of becoming, like, the, the regent or whatever, you got to ha- take a quick look at the, <laughs> the, the updated oath, just, just like, f- for a sec, right? <laughs> you could just be like, you could just look at what the words are and be like, yeah, I'm fine having this on my conscience. Here's the deal, Jed. Here's, here's what it is. Um. Uh, so I would love to know how much 9A is the... Re- because there's another more legitimate emperor of the Masons in a car, and another one currently just somewhere, yeah. maybe in Alexandria. They haven't checked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how emperor is he? Uh, I think he is the only one who's been, like, sworn in in any sense, right? So he's the current one. I agree. Like, if, um, that he has the ability to do some serious damage if he wants to, like, fight Martin for the Emperorship. I don't know if he wants to, but he could do some serious, like, Civil War shit. I don't know why 9A would actually want to do that. They don't seem to like being the Emperor. Do they not? The second they became Emperor, they declared all oppression to have ended. (laughs) Yeah, but, like, that's already been declared, so you're good now. You can retire. Oh, great. I, I'm pleased that's how it works. L- let me do everyone a favor real quick. Hey, uh, <laughs> listeners, oppression, done. You're welcome. It is. It has been solved. All oppression everywhere. I fixed if it. If you think uh, you're I'm going to put that on my resume now. You're just wrong. You've misunderstood the situation. <laughs> yes, uh, we, we encourage you to reevaluate. Okay, so... Um, they 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 bring Jed out, right? For whatever reason it's allowed. They bring Jed to the to this negotiation and they're like, "Hey, 
uh, real quick, we gotta we gotta ask you some questions and you gotta answer them. And if you answer them right, you win the war. Um, and he's like, no, I will not answer any questions ever because because I learn more all the time, and the more I learn, the better my ideas are. So I need to give all my answers at the latest possible moment. And Nine is like, that's great, Jed. But you won't win unless you give the answers now. So you gotta give what you got and we'll work with it. Um, and uh, Jed says, okay, I trust that that's a good idea. Um, By the way. And then they ask Jed several questions. Yes, Liam? I, 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 last episode, I said, and I wish I'd, re- I'd remembered to go and write down the quote. But it was something to the effect of, hey, you know how I said at the start of the book that there might come a time when... Jehovah can no longer be trusted, and we need to kill Jehovah, and, like, this might be that time. The next chapter, Jehovah says, I trust you, 9A, and will do this thing I don't understand because you told me it's a good idea. (laughs) Deeply, deeply concerning. And yet... Clearly the right move, right? And a move that should have been taken... Months ago. Yeah, it turns out uh, that, like, week two, Cornell Mason is just, like, a fucking, <laughs> just bad at his job on, like, multiple fronts. So, so here's part of, here's my theory on that. Um, I think Cornell didn't think there was any chance he would lose um, the war, right? Because yeah. he's the greatest of all time. Of course. Um, and based on that, that the only way that he could torture Jed, which is a necessity for succession, is by making Jed, through his actions, party to uh, horrible mass war crimes and genocide. Uh, Because that's really the only thing that would hurt Jed, is knowing that he caused a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And that therefore, by, by locking him up like this, and being like, no, we won't give you, like, you don't get to talk to anybody and you don't get to uh, stop this war. He he was, therefore, d- fulfilling his duty as emperor and torturing Jit. So, shockingly, I completely agree. Yeah. I'm not shocked. Like, he realized uh, that the only thing that would encourage Jehovah to take an oath is to stop the war and then take control and make it be over. And he was really upfront about, hey, Jehovah, um, you can just go win the war yourself if you take the oath. But if you don't take the oath, you don't get to give us advice and I'll keep doing an imperfect job. Uh, yeah, it, it was a solid plan. This is so good. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what would redeem Cornell's character? Uh, if we say that he has been abusing uh, his child... He's God. been abusing his his child, God, by <laughs> being incompetent and doing so many war crimes. Now, look, to be clear, my goal with that previous statement was not an attempt to redeem Cornell's character. I do not consider it that him doing that to be an especially redeeming act. Well, like I do. <laughs> he told us up front that he would be willing for his cause to kill Jehovah, and he found a way that he didn't have to kill God. Good for him. I want to note uh, that it... I hate saying this, um, 
but pretty clearly Cornell only recently got on the war crimes train. Okay, yeah, not not actually war crimes. That that was not fair. He only he only did a few. No, he things, did but, the worst uh, war crimes ever in history. But did them because he got really angry about the Gordians at the very end of the, at the very end of his life. Sorry, which I still which one? Don't buy that. That's why that happened. Um, <laughs> I think it's like pretty I, clear given his history. Uh, he gets really angry when I, I, I don't want to get into information. He learned the information, and he immediately did, like, a very rash act, and then died. It happened this time. Johnny's I, right. I get... We can't keep relitigating that single chapter of this book yeah. as the rest yeah, of my, the podcast. I also, I also hold a triumvirate order to not have that <laughs> argument, and to stop that argument if it starts <laughs> happening. Um... Hey, do you have an order so... to not tell me how many other obscure orders you have? Uh, well, I mean, I don't want you to be able to guess things based on the orders that I have. Damn, you're right. (sighs) (laughs) Um, One day soon, I will go and read the entire spoiler channel, and so many questions of mine will be answered that day. Probably there's less stuff in it than you would think. Like, people don't post there that often. But every time, like, do you get, like, orders? It's like, shove for it meetings? (laughs) It seems like it's all stuff I desperately want to know (laughs) that is being posted there. So I think there will be a lot. Okay. I hope you enjoy it. Anyway. um, uh, So uh, Jed agrees. I'll answer your question. Basically, the questions that get asked are this. Um, Is the new world going to have humans? Yeah, for the foreseeable future. Um, is the new world gonna have, uh, family units or hives or something recognizable as that? Uh, and again, yeah, for the foreseeable future, though amongst other, like, multitudinous different organizations. Um, is the, the future gonna have countries or, like, nations or something like that? Um, and I, yes. Uh, is the world gonna have hives? Yes, but maybe not the same ones or in the same way. Um, uh, so that's what we get. And Homeland's like, okay, that's all we wanted to hear. We're good. We're on your no, side. Isn't that not true? Didn't they knock at everything they wanted? They got uh, enough. There was another question. And immediately th- there took was another aside. question. I think there was another question they wanted answered that Jed couldn't answer, but that they found the answers that were given sufficient. And then Leslie, having not been primed on how to talk to God, temporarily broke God. <laughs> yeah, because she asks, like, don't you think it's ridiculous that, that like, we're dealing with a person who can't, like, uh, say that killing less people is better than killing more people? No, she doesn't even say that. She uh, says, and- uh, they say, um, hey, how many people are you willing to kill in order to make sure that we aren't independent? And then Jed just fucking stops. Because it turns out, Jed is straightforwardly a utilitarian. It's just that all utility is uh, valued uh, with cardinals. Which I think is very funny. So, I didn't actually notice this until I listened to the last episode. But Diane, on the last episode, mentioned that 9A 
on it, apparently in that chapter describes Su Hyun's mind as quote so keen that it locks like clockwork when the trolley problem is so disproportionate. Uh, which is interesting given that they apparently knew this about Jed, which means retroactively they were comparing Su no. Hyun to Jed. Uh, Su Hyun and the set sets uh, do have a moral theory and act on that moral theory. Their mind doesn't lock it. They just accept the consequences of their moral theory and enact them. Jed's mind hmm. literally has to do <laughs> calculations with the surrealism in order to actually answer any moral question. And so when you ask them a complex enough moral question, they literally just stop. They <laughs> yeah, they can no longer function. They get tied up in a in a thought loop for apparently a long time. Like several hours, like four Will hours. Will we get an answer at the end of this thought loop? It sounds like no. Presumably no, or they wouldn't have to do the calculation over and over. Though, we do actually get the other interesting but thing But like, but here. no, but we, we do have one set of evaluation, which apparently was easy, right? We find out that languages are higher order aleph, so Jed values them more highly than human lives. I think there's also, an argument to be made. <laughs> what's the argument? That feels very straightforward. But like, here's the fun fact. Um... Jed value of this language is a high order aleph means that Jed values any single language more than any number of human lives. Well, yeah, but honestly, the, 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 the circumstances in which you need to kill people to preserve a language are probably few and far between. And simply noting, Also, if Jehovah does it, it is true and correct. So I guess, <laughs> despite my moral intuitions... It would be better to first breed an infinite number of people and then kill them all than allow a single language to die out. Also, that just can't be, like, true, right? Insofar as the, like, if you kill every human, then every language dies. So there has to be some amount of time No, it's like a trade. Where, like, like, suppose you, you have infinitely many people being happy. On the other hand, you have a single person who will live forever, I don't know, being tortured but knowing a language. It'd be better to preserve mm -hmm. that language than to let it die. Um, yeah, Apparently. so here's you have someone who knew yeah, every human language, who lived forever, like, but say, was being Mycroft. tortured. Yeah, like Minecraft. And they're being tortured forever. And that's like one future. Like, say, other Minecraft. Future, and the other future, ha you have one less language, uh, but you have, I don't know, countably infinite people. And... Uh, Man, if you're if you're gonna have one guy whose job is to live forever and be tortured forever and know a lot of languages, it's like we designed Minecraft for this role. And it, it turns out to be better to have one person being tortured forever, knowing those languages, than it would be to have one less human language and that it'll be country infinite happy people. That's Jed's position. Yeah, so I guess we I guess what Jed implicitly says here without specifically stating it is that in his world there's going to be really good archives because we do not want to lose any human language yeah knowledge. like i think what we're seeing is hey why should you not ask jehovah specific questions about the future and it's because you might uh, oopsie daisies <laughs> commit jehovah to torturing infinite people later <laughs> in order to preserve like one language a single guy speaks. Yeah. Because yeah, you so wanted like, to know honestly. if there would still be 
a Korea <laughs> in a hundred years. Yeah, so good for you. This is indeed a case. This is one of those unfortunate <laughs> cases where it seemed really stupid to not do the thing, but then you do the thing and you realize it's even more stupid to do the thing, right? Like uh, this may end the war, but it might also fuck everything and stop Jed from being an effective leader. Well, no, the stupid thing was not doing this. The second stupid thing was doing it with zero prep or thought given to the questions you're going to ask the creepy godchild. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they and just, also like, just like not having everybody ten there minutes. able to ask any questions they feel like yeah. asking, it, even if they don't know what Jed's deal is. Because like apparently Leslie just doesn't know Leslie what Jed's deal is. Leslie has never met is. Jed. Like, is, yeah. Well, I think they did meet Jed back in... Uh, they went one, in the room. right? Because Jed came to their house. They went in the room. The oh, okay. uh, Occam and Leslie were getting busy. Uh, hey, is that when the kid was born? Was being conceived? Hey, where's Occam? Uh, in Europe. Maybe alive. In Europe. He showed also, up in... Also he, a question. Uh, they showed up in chapter 19. Yeah, but there's also a war. Also a question. So. What's the, how long has the war been happening uh, Almost a year. Almost a year? So that means Occam and Leslie have met since the last time, right? Because they would have conceived a child. How old is the baby? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's another question. I I assumed it was born during, the uh, like, just, like, before the chapter started, (laughs) uh, which is not necessarily true. uh, (laughs) Immediately does this complex (laughs) series of negotiations. (laughs) The other weird assumption is that uh, Leslie needed Occam around to conceive a child. When do you think it is? It's fine. Look, I mean, yes, it's possible that that's. I not don't know they why work, they would, but I, I would have a child now. <laughs> that's the question. You know that that is true. That is not correct based on how we hear Bashas work, right? That like Bashas are big, complicated, polyamorous network relationships with all sorts of different components. So uh, maybe there's like a designated breeder in the Sinir Weeks booth bash, and they just all get impregnated by that. Person. Uh, uh, I don't know. But we know. Hey, that's- Johnny. Let me, I want to take 70, 80 steps back. What the fuck are you talking about? I think, I think, uh, uh, Bosch relationships are, like, not one-to-one maps on anything, but they're just like a, they include amongst them sexual relationships and romantic relationships and family relationships. This is true, but we know exactly how the Sinewa Zothas is composed. It's the best described bash (laughs) in these books. And we know specifically (laughs) that um, there's just nobody else. It's it's just uh, Leslie and Occam. There's, there's no one else that they could be together, right? Leslie isn't together with the twins. The twins d- do other things with other people, random other people. It isn't together with Kato, who doesn't do this. It isn't with Eureka. It isn't with the set yeah. sets. Kato confirmed yeah, it asexual. It isn't with the set sets. It isn't with um, Sniper class. It could be with set sets. I, I don't know. It's so, not with the Johnny, set sets. You're, it's not with you're Sniper. Doing a- because we know Sniper, the, 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 there was a, some kind of weird sibling sexual rivalry over 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 Leslie between Occam and Sniper. Mm-hmm. Um and that's just everybody oh, in the bash. That's probably a Nutena thing. Yeah. Uh, not the point. But listen, that's everybody Johnny, in the bash. So it has to be just you're doing, Leslie and Occam. Like you're doing that like a game 
about Terra Ignata, right? Here's what I want you to do. Um, I uh-huh. want you to include this breeder character that you think exists in the in the OS bash, and then explain your theory. And then I want you to mail that to the author and just ask, hey, I put together the clues, right? I know you intended this character to exist. <laughs> Look, I'm just... This is... Really all... This is John, the guy who impregnates everyone, because that's how bashes work, right? <laughs> Look, I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying it wouldn't be that surprising to me if Mycroft... Mycroft, like... Just took no interest in the fact that, like, there is a designated breeder rule and was like, look at all these weird kinky drawings Leslie has on Occam. It's it's about their love. And doesn't mention the fact that, like, one of them is fucking all the others because he's just weird about what he talks about. I would be immensely surprised. <laughs> look, I... This is not, like, a, a theory that I'm really committed to. This is the latest iteration of the book is lying, but it's how it's lying about <laughs> this book actually is like a breeder kick, just in the background, that nobody is, like, it's not part of the adventure. <laughs> Everybody is doing a breeder kick in the Cynthia Weeks booth patch. Yeah, you know, know. everyone just hires one, <laughs> hires a guy, and that's how you get new Bash children. We know that's, we the, be, that's the program. Oh, that has... That has real eugenics undertones that I don't like. <laughs> Look, maybe they do that in the Brillists because they're eugenicists anyway, but I don't want to say that <laughs> that's what's going on. They already genetically um, modify their children. <laughs> they don't need eugenics. to do classic yeah. eugenics. Anyway, I swear look, to God, I agree. If Faust That's shows up probably... next chapter and is like, "Anyway, I'm doing brain stuff." By the way, you know those people who we all hire. <laughs> I, I look. I'm just saying it's a suspicious amount of liking categorizing people and liking uh, people that they don't like to not exist. <laughs> like I don't know. It, it just, the the brillist vibes are troublingly. They eugenics-y. would if they were trying to do that. They wouldn't bother trying to like get a perfect like try to like literally breed out the perfect person. They can build people from scratch. They would do that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, I, I don't think this in your week's booth thing is especially likely. Sub one percent probability. You know. Anyway, what was um, what were we talking about before? Uh, I was too shocked by we... Johnny's absurd <laughs> interjection. Uh, I've totally lost the plot. So we talked about what Jed's concessions were, uh, and like, do you, on the whole, do you think those were good concessions? Aside from the thing where he may have accidentally, or not accidentally, but like tangentially, said that he would kill an arbitrary number of humans in order to preserve. I want to know that the arbitrary number is at least, at least. One for every natural number, and maybe higher. So a large arbitrary number. That is a large number. I think um, most of them are fine because they narrowed him down to like the next couple hundred years, and immortality's right on the table. So whatever, go for it. Um, what do I think about this? I think these concessions are like just basic things. Um. Like they, because mm. they know so little. They're like, will there be families? Will they transmit languages? 
Will there be nations? Will there be hives? They're all very minor, uh, and the kinds of things you should have asked just so you could reassure other remakers later. Yeah, right? I, I... I am also curious, do you think there are other concessions that they should have gotten him to give? No, Jehovah is going to make a better world than this one. No, they should have, they, 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 the, Leslie was on the right track, we're like, hey, how bad would it be if we tried to have a settled peace with you? If we tried to have, make our own world? Would that be a possible thing we could do? That's a legal important question to ask. We want to have a peace with this sort of, like, uh, this sort of, like, really deep ideological battle. And it turns out, Jed can't answer that question, which is, like, deeply concerning, because it means possibly that the only way they're going to resolve this war is by having everybody conquer, in totality, everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yes. Unconditional surrender only. Well, the, no, now there have been conditions. That's no longer true. And that's, I guess that's, well, but conditional... Uh, yeah, I guess. The, he, the conditions were secured, though that's not usually how that works. You don't usually just get the conditions arbitrarily forever, regardless of what you do, and you don't have to promise anything in order to get this them. Deep yes, you don't. Uh, so I would like to note that the note about Hyrule Islets, when the concept of the infinity, human life being worth infinity, came up, I immediately made a joke about the surreal value utility function, and it turns out mm-hmm. I was just right. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I, you know, I think the book has been pretty clear that that's how Jehovah thinks people work. Now, you know what? Not as much since he found out they aren't gods. It is reassuring that he thinks they are at least still infinite, even if they're probably a lower infinity now that he doesn't believe them all to be other gods. Yeah. Hmm. Probably Maybe. before I, that, I he would don't... have put people above language. So here, here's the thing is, I don't know if necessarily he would actually think that gods are more morally relevant beings than humans, except for the fact that in his universe, he described that it's impossible to separate the creations of his universe from himself, right? There's, there's no individual self. So maybe he thinks gods are literally conglomerates of more beings and thus should be counted as having the moral way first of all, of all beings. it's very that's clear. very silly Johnny. it's very clear that jed values what gods more than human beings because we hear this directly jed is worried that if they kill a god the universe that they have will just pop out of existence yes well yeah but that's not what the evidence yeah so he's suggest. okay with killing people yeah yeah, but that would also imply he's maybe okay with killing gods. No. No, because he doesn't think they can be killed. Because if you kill a person, and the person is a Jehovah-style god, the god is fine, it's just not here anymore. It's like when you pick Jehovah up and you throw him across the room. I don't know what would happen. Like, what do you think would happen if they tracked down the god of the Terra Ignota universe and killed them? Like, what do you think would happen? Eternal victory. They would. Okay, but what do you mean? That. You can't. Jehovah doesn't seem to think gods. <sighs> At no point in the story have we seen any viable way to kill gods, except for having Bridger make one, and then that may be like a brand new possibility. Yeah. Well, Bridger's artifacts include like I don't know the scrying orb and the magic and wall, right? Maybe you can. 
Mjolnir. and Mjolnir. So maybe you can use the scrying orb to find God and then the magic wand to summon them. I, I don't Jesus. know. Like, but then so- how do you kill God? With Mjolnir, I like, guess? Like, what do you do magic wand. that causes magic. God to be dead? <laughs> like, do you think cutting off God's head means that God isn't alive anymore? Would... I don't know. I haven't met any gods. We've had met one in this well, story. Then... It's Jehovah, and he was fine. Yes. Yeah, but he doesn't know. He didn't know. Well, but they cut now off he the does head. know. But they cut off the head of his physical body. Like, I- I'm assuming there's a certain degree of dualism going on here, where Jehovah is, like, a physical existing thing in that he's a, a guy with a body but then he separately is this weird other thing where he's a no. god right and the two are linked but not necessarily literally this is a good hobbesian book there are no dualists in this book <laughs> just materials hey have you finished reading leviathan no. that's this weekend i have a free day on monday sure it is sure anyway um i, I think I, th- okay. you know i i kind of agree that dualism probably not Except for Jehovah, where his body genuinely might be like a, like a um, a theological cell phone, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's like I'm not proposing. So, so what I'm saying a spirit, is, we've never. S- except in that, I am a hundred percent proposing there is a different place where Jehovah is, and he's connected to a brain in this universe via something. Yeah. So if what I'm saying is if that's true, then someone shooting like Jed's body was not really an attempt to fuck with a god, right? Because the god was off in its own universe. Well, now he thinks um, you can't kill gods. Well, he thinks you can't kill gods by killing the human thing that they're dualists. I guess they could try to destroy the universe. Okay, that might do. If you're it. assuming God is the universe, like, what do we, uh, what do we think the God of the Terra Ignota universe is like again? Jehovah. Do we think Ada Palmer. Like the- yeah. What? Okay. We- well, we think it's Ada Palmer, but like, do we think it's a, a a like determinism providence thing, like Mycroft thinks, and also like Jed thinks, or do we think it's like a active? I'm gonna sin. I'm gonna respond to plans and send miracles and stuff. Thing, or do we think it's a Jehovah-style thing where it literally is inseparably just part of every single aspect of the? So, Johnny, I feel like you aren't listening because when I said I think the God of Terra Ignata is Ada Palmer, I'm not being coy. I mean that the God of Terra Ignata is a person who lives on our earth and wrote a book and the author of that book is the god of the book so but if that's the case if you think that's literally the cosmology then killing god in that sense wouldn't actually do anything the book would still be written yes but jehovah might not work that way okay and he didn't know this until he got his head exploded Okay, yes, I know. I'm ju- I was just trying to get your your a, a quick check-in on the cosmology. Quick. Um, Nothing in this book is so, quick. Nothing we do is quick. Ten minutes a page. We're very fast. Ten minutes so, a yeah, page. Yeah, no, I think, um, okay. I think it's pretty clear that... I swear to God, I had a point I was going to make, and then I thought I saw a spider, and I've... <laughs> <laughs> I completely lost it. Spiders um, are cool. Okay, so just... 
just to get get through the remaining things in the chapter, right? So, uh, they they get these concessions. They get Homeland on their side. They ask, like, hey, would you like to take this opportunity to surrender right now? Because you can't win the war anymore. You have no chance. And they're like, ah, there's always plan B. We can just kill Jed and then we win. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, uh, 9A has their own little aside about how, like, oh, yeah, we just won the war against sexism. Woohoo. Uh, and then... We uh we finish out we finish out the chapter with uh them having either a night terror or a visitation from a real ghost because Saladin comes up in their sleep and is like, Are you ready to die for Mycroft? Uh and Nine is like, there's so many things I wanna do, such as meeting a sniper and uh uh like winning the war and like various stuff. Um uh and uh gotta resolve that stuff with achilles uh and the chapter ends with uh saladin saying you do not have a short war by pampering achilles which is utter bullshit (laughs) achilles is is so goddamn good at wars um pamper all you want (laughs) well but is pampering him necessarily a good idea because what does that specifically correlate with in the Iliad? You don't steal his wife and you uh, keep him on your side and then near the end you say, hey Achilles I would like you personally to walk from here to the middle of Troy and not stop and then you observe as Achilles single-handedly walks through the entire war and then you win at the end. (laughs) Do you, what's your plan for how he's going to get through the wall? Or is it just he's going to get through the wall? It, one, Achilles, <laughs> it's it's silly as far as I'm concerned to pretend that Achilles can be stopped by a mere wall. Uh, but two, you send Odysseus with him to do the thinking. It's incredible to me that at this point, you can, you, after we just discussed how the, how the story works, you think this is how it's going to pan out. Of course not. What's going to happen? Oh no, he, f- he. Well, he stays alive. He's going to live. Who? Achilles? No. Yeah, he's going to survive the book. <laughs> no, he isn't. Obviously not. Why? Why are you now saying that it's not going to exactly. be like the Iliad? Because that doesn't happen that, in the yes, Iliad. Yes, it does. <laughs> oh, Achilles survives the Iliad, but it doesn't happen. In the Odyssey. But famously, he gets shot by Paris. Yeah, it doesn't happen in the Iliad. But it does happen in the Odyssey, which is also happening. I think only one chapter of this was the Odyssey, and he doesn't die in the Odyssey. No, not mo- only one chapter, because later, Blue dies. Oh yeah, that's true. That's another Odyssey. Shit, that is another Odyssey thing. Yeah. Listen, I'm sticking to my guns on this. What happens is going to happen that um, Achilles is going to kill Hector, and we're going to switch wholesale into yep. the Odyssey. Which means that war is uh, at the very end. So <laughs> sniper's gonna kill Achilles. So if if Achilles doesn't if Achilles doesn't die in the Iliad, but he like does die in the greater myth, what where what's the stopping point for the Iliad? Hector's it's funeral. It's as soon as they have Hector's funeral. Yeah. Hmm. It's great how much you've assumed so, about the Iliad, not well not knowing this like a basic fundamental fact about it. Now hey. It, this should not be surprising. Did you know, Johnny, that you could go and read the Iliad? I have a copy <laughs> of it on my shelf right now. 
It's an old translation, but it would do the Older job. than... They're all know? old translations. Mine is not an old translation. <laughs> oh. Well, I, I just mean it's a translation from, like, the 1930s or something. I yeah, for sure. Know. Liam's is older than yours. Liam's from, like, the 1500s. Oh, yeah. It doesn't feel well, like I, a 1500s just, book to me, frankly. It's also just a physically, like, old book as well. Because, like, I've read stuff from the 1500s, and it sounded much... It was harder to read than the Iliad is. Hmm. Well, A, they... It's a different thing, right? Like, they translated... I guess that's true. It's from... Much of the stuff I read from the 1500s was intentionally coded and purposely obtuse, so perhaps that is not helping. Talk about Hobbes? Hmm. Or the Pope LARP? I'm talking about, um... Meyer and uh, Longsword Treaties. Uh, when was Hobbes? Ah. Hobbes was 18th century. Or not 18th century, but he was like a contemporary of Voltaire, wasn't he? Yeah, that's a bit later. Hobbes is a rough read, not because of the prose, but just because, like, it takes a long time to get through the whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Hey, you know do though or release the episode where i talk about leviathan (laughs) (laughs) uh okay so how's bliss stage coming along (laughs) i also try to do that this weekend (laughs) we're gonna release so much stuff after people unsubscribe to this podcast So I think that was the last event of the chapter. Was there other stuff we wanted? Which to hives about? the Chova? Let me check to... my notes. Um, Nine A continues a worrying tradition of Masons promising they'll do a thing and then not do it. When they tell Leslie, "Hey, um, be really careful. If I don't like what you're doing, I will immediately disconnect you from the call to avoid breaking Jehovah." And then when Nine A doesn't like what Leslie is doing, they're just like. Oh, what? No, um, sorry. Hang on. Don't ask that, please. Just, just two seconds. Um, well, Jehovah, to be fair, did they point, break I you? It was probably, it was probably too late, right? Because like Jehovah's now in like he's frozen in in loading mode for several hours. So like, there's not really much point. Yes, Johnny. By the time they had already not done anything, it was too late. You know when it wasn't too late. Before they finished asking the dumb question, 9A knew better then. Okay, but I don't know if 9A literally had a giant red button they could hit. And also, like, that's less a lack of conviction and more a lack of reaction time that you're criticizing here. Yes. <laughs> okay, so... Do better. I, I think what's the... So we, we find out that um, 9A is going to make every single Mason uh, where. The um, the Jehovah symbol of the V's, the, the V's, of absolute undying obe- obedience to Jehovah, a person they have literally in a jail cell. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's a good. System. That's how Masons uh, work. They they try, they try to give like a a an out of like, and if you don't want to wear the V's, and then someone's like, hey, remember. You're the fucking Mason. If they don't want to wear the V's, they can go to hell. That's our policy. Uh, and 9A is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but like... It's not my policy. Realistically, 
<laughs> realistically, like, uh, you know, if if they want to exercise their absolute exit right, they need to have a way to do that. So, like, if they want to do that at this juncture, like, give them the means to go to Red Crystal. I hope no Masons take the coward's way out and decide to work at Red Crystal after the terrible acting emperor tells them to wear the oath of loyalty to this other organization. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, 9A Carlisle, this was dumb. Uh, Masculine in mind, yep. 9A thinks sound is good at killing. Fingers. Nope, that's it. I made it through. Oh, there was one other thing. Um, Eureka makes a point in the here of like, I need to go talk to like my people in order to set this up. So can you like promise that you'll allow me to go do that on my own and won't and won't like uh, use this against me? Uh, Can I get your like inviolate oath, O Emperor? And Nine is like, yeah, absolutely. You, we trust you. Um, But the order they give is quote. No one is to track Eureka where they don't need to be tracked, which is the most fucking horseshit thing I've ever heard. Like, that means nothing. You are totally relying on your subordinates to just divine what you this mean by that. This is Emperor shit, though. You throw out 100%. phrases and then need to, like, like do re- readings of them, like, divine your meanings, like a, like a biblical text. Hey, do you think... I guess there's a war going, but it sounds like the Masons are getting way better at communicating. So do you think there's like a whole subculture of Masons now who look at everything the Emperor does and go like, I read the oath. They're not measuring up. (laughs) That doesn't sound right. I know Uh, you're in charge, but I read the rule you're trying to follow and you're not doing a very good job because 9A suggests they are doing that to him. Um, no, I think what's, I think almost no one in Alexandria, especially in the palace, has actually read the oath. Like, we know Zalu has it, we know very few people have around Mason. So I think people in Alexandria Yeah, I, I think there's probably, know. yeah. What's happening is they've, they've seen multiple emperors, and they know. <laughs> and isn't doing a thing, and any of them would do. <laughs> yeah, I think they, they... A lot of Masons probably didn't read the oath, right? Because, for one thing, they don't... Like, a lot of them are probably genuinely loyal. For another thing, they couldn't have known that the pardon was going to go out. Uh, and so, it's plausible, because, love them or hate them, the Masons are real wacky when it comes to how they determine when you're going to get punished for something, right? So it, it was imminently plausible that whoever read the oath was going to get yeah, killed. But and their family. Even after, right? When Mason says specifically Masons are okay to read the oath, it's okay to do so. Um, well, no, he says you're pardoned from doing so. That doesn't mean it's okay. That means you're not going to get, like, punished. And they say something like, if you discuss it, that's also, a, like, we're going to pardon you for that. Um, and so I think there's, like, some Masons, especially afterward, who, like, read the oath. Clearly, right? Like, because there were, like, some riots in Romanova. Yeah. Um, Mason did a better job handling this than the Sensayers did. 
Probably because he just watched the senseiers do such a terrible job handling <laughs> this. Handling the religion thing? The, the Bridger stuff. And then oh. Mason had his own oath come out, like a week later, and he got to go, Well, I know what not to do. Um, okay, everybody, listen. This is already out. You're gonna need to talk about it. It... The, the ship has sailed. The cat is out of the bag. Just... Get it out of your system, and then we'll be done. And it'll change. <laughs> Though, that said, it does. It is another thing in the long list of Masons making a threat and not following through on it. Because they were like, oh yeah, we'll fucking start a war about anyone who reads or knows about the oath. And then everybody did, and they were like, well, that's just unrealistic. Who? That, that's not what you said you'd do. <laughs> who do you declare <laughs> you the war on? You not include uh, everyone who read the oath. Yeah, that's... I guess you could just declare that now Masons need to end humanity. Um, yeah, and that's the sort of thing. That... <laughs> and that's what you and would that's want, what clearly, because that's what they said they would up, do. Was spinning up to do that in his chair, and Achilles came by and said, hey, that's stupid. Don't. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe don't. don't. Well, you know what? Um, sudden pardons for laws... One of the few upsides of having acting dictatorships. They could be too nice by accident sometimes. You don't sometimes. need an acting dictatorship to have pardons for loss. That's that's just kind of a normal thing that can be done in a lot of political yeah. systems. I'm not taking criticism at this moment um, <laughs> regarding the Masonic political system. You know, Damn it, I'm forgetting my triumvirate orders. We're not supposed to argue about whether the Masons are good or bad. That's another okay. third um, order. Uh, maybe. Anyway, that's different um, from your, the two orders you've been given. You were told us about. Well, listen. There might have been some more general orders that exclude multiple different types of realistically applicable arguments. Here's the upside. One day, we get to have the triumvirate on and judge them for all <laughs> of their actions. Oh, can we, can we have that be a special at the end? Absolutely. Ooh. How many fucking specials are you going to put out after the end? Like, you're going to have another ethics bowl. Surely you're going to have another thing where you talk about just like... The you are running the ethics bowl, Johnny. You demanded that rights. Yeah, I did, because you did a fucking terrible job deciding the topic for the trial Absolutely. the first time. It's terrible. Yeah. I nailed the book right square center. It's not terrible. It's so... Dumb. That was the concept. The topic was the thing you got wrong. <laughs> the concept was fine. I think it was a great. I, I think it was a great idea. I think the way that you like laid out the topic at question, like legislated away any ability to have any interesting answers. Like guilty or not guilty. That's just how trials work, Johnny. <laughs> no, I mean like you made it such that it was just a bunch of questions of fact rather than something where you could have like ethical positions that influence what you think is going on. How do you think trials work, Johnny? Yeah, I know that's how trials work, but it doesn't necessarily make for the most interesting content. Tell that to law and order. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um is there anything uh further? Hey, do we have an extra witch? Uh, Thisbe, Cersei, the or the Cersei analog, Dr. What's-Her-Face. Um, did we meet Calypso? Yeah. 
Calypso was the um the people who like the people only people who had sex with Mycroft and like lived. Right, but that's interesting because it's not one in the original. It's like one person, and in this, it's yeah. Like but they literally live on one of the island. Yeah. Um. Maybe maybe our count checks out. Maybe it's fine. I mean, in that case, it doesn't really matter because it's like if if Calypso can be a whole team of people, then clearly we don't care about Wiz? the count of of people. Now that I'm thinking about witches, where's Thisby? No, who's Thisby's brother? Biologically, Occam. Okay, why? What does that imply? Well, witches are also a Nutena thing, uh, and I'm just trying to do the math on ah. how that tracks. Trying to figure out uh, if Occam has been running a man. When I see the plot of Nutena out loud, it seems so sad. A molestation ring for middle schoolers. Yeah. <laughs> That's really depressing. Probably not. Occam seems like a real stand-up guy. <laughs> Does he really? Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about somebody being, like, an example of a masculine archetype who has also gone somewhat wrong, like, you could maybe make that argument for Occam, right? Like, he's he's sort of an archetypal soldier, uh, or, like, servant of the state or something. I'm not sure what exactly you'd call him, but he's definitely... He's he's ascribed as honorable because he does his duty to the state. Sorry. Um Johnny. Yeah. I can't yeah. believe you're sitting here on this podcast and telling me you think Occam went wrong. I mean, he's also like a huge murderer, right? I don't know. You could Oh, what's so wrong? <laughs> yeah. He did objectively a good thing for the best reasons and faced the consequences. What more could you possibly want from Occam? Well, like, in the context of Utena, uh, the, the thing that the deus or whatever... Oh, Let me well, stop you. Start have you seen Utena, this. or have you <laughs> not seen Utena? Uh, I've heard your podcast episodes about Utena, and I assume they're completely accurate, so I, ha- I felt no need okay, to no, no. go and watch the shit. That's series. fine, actually. I am I am happy to have this conversation based purely on stuff I said about Utena. Proceed. <laughs> okay. Um, like the thing that that guy did wrong was like uh, uh, like mislead people and fail to live up to their expectations, right? And people basically expected that Occam was there to protect the cars, and that's why he has like special authority from the state to murder people. Uh, oh, and then he went and murdered a bunch of extra. That's not people. why oh, he has like, special authority you know what? from the state to murder people. Occam has cars. And you know the weird random object Akio's associated with? <laughs> Fucking cars, man. He gets the teenagers in his car. That's his move. Yeah. Oh, there's something there. <laughs> I changed my argument to that argument. That's what I meant. <laughs> okay, so He Ak- actually controls people using cars. Yeah. I mean, he's not the only one, but still. Occam and Thisbe are sleeping together. <laughs> you know, you do realize, Liam, that that uh, helps my Sneer Weeksbooth breeder theory. Right? Ow! That Occam's the guy? <laughs> yeah, he's the breeder. So I it guess. is Occam's kid! <laughs> Fuck, Johnny, maybe you're right. 
I mean, it, it's all coming together. <laughs> that means it is Occam's kid. The entire discussion was about whether Thisbe's child is Occam's child. No, the the discussion was about whether Leslie's child, child is Occam's, Occam's child. child. And that means if Occam is the appointed Jesus Christ breeder, then like, yeah, Leslie's child is Occam's child. Is that child. not the term? I think he just doesn't like that he has <laughs> yeah, to say it out that's loud. That's what happens here. Huh. Um, boy, yeah, I, I mean, that all makes perfect sense. <laughs> uh, in any case, Occam doesn't have special authority from the state to murder because of the particular cars. Yes, Occam he has, does? Doesn't, not just. Occam has special authority from the state to murder for the benefit of the humanists. Yeah, but, like, the public-facing reason as to why that actually is is because he runs the cars. I think he has separately the power from Romanova, but, like, in a lot of ways, humanists are a state, even though for my um, world of public theory, it's not necessarily a great thing to say. Um, for a lot of relevant reasons, humanists are a state, and they also give Occam authority to kill. So, actually, that, that's something I wanted to, to mention. During the, the trial episode, uh, we, like, I, I I prompted each of you like multiple times, like, hey, are the Utopians an ethnic group? And you always said no. Utopians are for sure an ethnic um, group. But then you, you, you seem to have turned around. around on it. So can you tell us? No, no. Okay. I'm the but one who turned around then, because it became more convenient for my argument that the Utopians be an ethnic group. Yeah, I always believed that the Utopians were an ethnic group. I think we had a discussion in the, in the channel at one point. It's just that... For my defense, it's convenient for me to not believe that, and I need to give my genocide mm. um, defense defendants a chance out. So I had argued that it wasn't. Now the problem is, I see they're probably not an ethnic group, but they're definitely a national group. They like, are f- no question for sure um, an ethnic group. They meet they meet every criteria but one for being an ethnic what? group. What? They don't have a shared religion. That can't be additional. But it, that can't but be that's an additional how, criteria for. Well, that's yeah, not how say. the criteria work. It's like broad strokes. These are these are all things that can define an ethnic group, and it's like you know, is it a a, a thing that's passed down from generation to generation? Do they share a language? Do they share a culture? Are they clearly identifiable because of how they dress or look or something or some cultural tradition? Are they commonly oppressed as a group or legislated against as a group, etc.? Yeah. Stuff like that and all that stuff. Yes, uh, it's just they they meet all of those common criteria except for having a shared religion. Yeah. So the Ethiopians are and more openly right. More than even the Masons or Mitsubishi or EU, their community of birth, they actually passed down this project, um, uh, we know, from parents to child. Uh, and it's very uncommon for them to leave this project. Um, more so than, say, the Masons leaving, or EU leaving, or Mitsubishi leaving. The Mitsubishi and Masons have a discussion with, like, they have people who leave to go convert to Utopians. Uh, but there's no this outflow we see, really. Um, okay, Johnny, so, I'm gonna do you a favor. Here's the Iliad. Book one, how Agamemnon and Achilles fell out at the siege of Troy, and Achilles withdrew himself from battle and won from Zeus a pledge that his wrong should be avenged on Agamemnon and the Achaeans. 
Sing, goddess, the wrath of Achilles Peleus' son, the ruinous wrath that brought on the Achaeans' woes innumerable and hurled down into Hades many strong souls of heroes and gave their bodies to be a prey to dogs and all-winged fowls. And so the Council of Zeus wrought out its accomplishment from the day when first strife parted Atreides, king of men, and noble Achilles. Atreides, I know them from Dune. Who then among the gods set the twain at strife and variance? Even the son of Leto and of Zeus, for he, in anger at the king, sent a sore plague upon the host, that the folk began to perish, because Atreides had done dishonor to Perseus the priest, for he had come to